Have you explored psychedelics? I just did. Which for one? the very first time. And by the way, these are all illegal unless in a clinical trial. So don't possess or sell these things. You will go to jail. But which ones did you do? So. 100%. Well, today is a very special day. First of all, it has been confirmed that Bert was kidnapped. And we're thrilled that he's being held for ransom. In his place, we have... Uh, an absolute, absolute special treat. Um, somebody we've never had a smart person on this show, <laughs> let alone somebody qualified to teach us something. And so today we got both of those. We knocked them both out. Um, I don't know. I always wear this. I don't, I'm surprised that you're wearing this, <laughs> but it is another blue-eyed, handsome man with a beard and a black shirt. It's Professor Andrew Huberman. Thanks for coming, man. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me here. There's um, a lot of reasons um, I'd love to be here and finally got here. Um, but look, I'm no replacement for Bert Kreischer. Oh, there's, a, there's no. There's yes, no, you are. I hope people aren't expect. I hope people aren't expecting me to be nearly as funny as Bert. That's or okay. Spontaneous as Bert. You well, know. you know, I think we're going to have a great. Actually, this is already one of my favorite podcasts that I've ever done. <laughs> um, we're thrilled to find out. You know, people have told you that we look alike. Uh, they've told me that we look alike. We ran, we did 23 and me. Yep. Um, turns out your father's, uh, third cousin, uh, slept with my mother in, uh, 1964. And, uh, so somos primos, somos primos. Yeah. Um, we have Latin roots and what are you, what are you gonna do? We're related. Sorry guys. That's it. Put it on the internet. Yeah. We're trying to figure out whether or not there's time for this holidays, whether or not we can get the families together. We'll, we'll get them we'll, together. We'll make it happen. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Um, it's, uh, before we get into, like, I have so many questions I want to ask you that are more academic and in your, your field. Um, I want to know a little bit, if you would share about um, Huberman roots, you sure. know? Yeah. So you were surprised. I didn't realize you actually grew up in the same community that you basically live in now. Yeah. I was born at Stanford Hospital. Wow. I did some, not all of my training at Stanford School of Medicine, and now I work at Stanford School of Jesus. Medicine. So the only joke I have to tell today is that someday I expect to die at Stanford School of Medicine. <laughs> That's but really cool. Hopefully a long time from now. I like that morbid joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks. The, um, yeah, my, my father's from Buenos Aires. Vamos, Argentina. Um, that's the most Spanish I'm going to speak. The, yeah, uh, che boludo. Uh, uh, I think they're doing well in the World Cup, right? They are. Uh, this will air afterwards. Let's just go for it. Congratulations to Argentina on winning the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, dale, dale. Okay. Yeah, my cousin's there. It's crazy. You know, you go to dinner with them. And, you know, before there were uh, smartphones. Yeah. They're just living on the radio. They're out of their fucking minds. out of their minds. Out of their minds. I think my dad's the you know, odd man out there growing up. He wasn't really into football, soccer. It um, is other level. It is other level. I mean, one of my favorite videos of all time is of a, a guy, El Tano Pasman. Have you seen that guy? No. So he's a, there's a, there's obviously, I mean, Argentina is all behind their national team as a country, right? Which is kind of the nice thing about mm -hmm. the world cup is it kind of, you know, sports are a great equalizer mm -hmm. unifies the whole country, but club wise, you know, there's there's Independiente, Boca, River, uh, River, and um, uh, San Lorenzo. There's all these other. There's all these clubs, right? So the most famous fan of of River is named Tano Pasman, and his family recorded him, um, absolutely 
losing his goddamn mind to the point where they they sent him to the doctor <laughs> after this went this went viral. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, he ends up he ends up kicking over furniture and like really really losing his shit. I mean, it's it is abs- it's one of my favorite things I've ever seen. And uh, we'll we'll check we'll check it out in a bit. But yeah, he, I mean, people will change marriages. They'll yeah. change schools. They'll change children. They'll do, but they don't change their commitment to their no. club team. There was a, I want to say, uh, it was probably a year, to maybe two years ago. There were there was club finals, so it was like inter mm-hmm. inter city finals. And when one of the buses would come into the stadium, f- fans of the opposing team broke all the window, like threw rocks at the windows, shattered the windows, and then the teams had to play their final. So like the championship out of the country. So they flew the teams out of the country Amazing. to play the final game. They're like, we want to play it here, but we can't. It's yeah, too violent. It's crazy. Yeah, my cousin who's you know grown with kids now, every weekend, I think it's on Saturday, he goes to play football, soccer yeah. with his friends that he grew up playing with. Yeah. Right. And there's there must be no joke, 50 fields. Like yeah. trying to find the, their field is impossible unless you know where to look. And little kids, adults, like everybody's out there. And it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it, their love of the game is, is it's un, unsurpassed. It, yeah, absolutely. And I hear the Brazilians and the, and the Italians are like going crazy, as they say, oh, unsurpassed. Yeah. But yeah. maybe that's why Argentina won the World Cup. Yeah, man. Yeah. That was yeah. amazing. That last game. So. <laughs> yeah. So my dad moved to the States on a, on a naval scholarship. Uh, he's a, he was a physicist, is a physicist. Uh, went to school in Philadelphia. Met my mom in New York. And. They fell in love, moved to California and had my sister and me and grew up at a time when Palo Alto wasn't this super wealthy community. Yeah. We weren't poor, but it wasn't what it is now, right? It wasn't crazy VC kind of money. Yeah. Um, There were kids at my school that, you know, we lived in a, you know, single story home. It was a nice home. It was, you know, relatively, you know, typical American home. And, um, you know, a lot of the kids were associated with Silicon Valley, which at the time were a lot of the children of engineers. Sure. And yeah, so I, I grew up in a home where science was discussed a lot and where graduate students would come over and those sorts of things. But, so that played a, definitely a big part in your development though, right? Yeah. I remember asking my dad when I was about, you know, six or seven, um, you know, what do you do for work? And he said, he tried to explain what he did and physics is complicated and he's yeah. a theoretical physicist. So it's especially abstract. Mm-hmm especially to a six-year-old. Oh my but, God. Um, yeah. Theoretical right. physicist. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. yeah. He was one of the early founders of chaos theory. So if you've read the book chaos or if you haven't, um, you know, the, there's some description of the work there. And, um, and so he was explaining some of that to me, but then he just said, look, the reason I do it is because do you remember, you know, that feeling the night before your birthday? I was like, oh yeah, definitely. He's like, it's like that almost every day. That's you know, a pretty like, cool description. Yeah, like, and then what he should have told me was, but every once in a while you open the present and there's nothing in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's science. There's a lot of failed attempts. But um, yeah, basically the 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 long story made short is uh, that I was on a standard track of every kid and played soccer, did swim team in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of kids down at the end of my street grew up you know, skateboarding and building ramps and forts. And you got into that yeah, too. Got into all that. I got really into the skateboarding thing. What happened was when I was about 13, 14, no sob story here, but my parents split up like super high conflict divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on good terms with both my parents, but they basically took a, you are on, oh, I'm on very oh, good terms okay. with both my parents, but they read basically the rule book of what not to do in a divorce and basically just like systematically club, broke oh, every yeah. one of those. Yeah. So I went a little bit feral or a lot feral from about 14 until 19 
um, fell straight into the skateboarding community. At that time in the early 90s, the so-called Embarcadero EMB crowd was really spinning up. Mm -hmm. Some amazing skateboarding. Rob Durdick came out to the EMB and would hang out. But there was a ton of amazing skateboarding, a lot of fights, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of pregnant girlfriends, a lot of chaos. You, lot were, of, you were involved in all that? Lot, not every single one of those things. I okay. won't, I won't uh, my checklist. Uh, I was like, that's you know, a fucking summer, um, bro. A lot of, you know, a lot of people dead in jail. It was crazy. Okay. But the skateboarding was amazing. Yeah. And made amazing friends. And so from a pretty early age, I found that being in a big pack of, guys because at that time skateboarding is mostly yeah, just guys sure um was my family and so i started traveling for skateboarding admittedly and i have to be careful here because the skateboarders are will like pick me apart i wasn't very good i was okay got a little sponsor i think they put me on for sympathy but i was really part of that community that and which the, translates to i'm way better than no, your average no, no. skateboarder no, no, but no. i'm not as good as the very best yeah i kept getting broken i kept you know as a skateboard kid say getting broke off you know i i broke my left foot five times. God I, just, damn. I just didn't, my body hadn't fully developed. I had yeah. hit puberty, but it somehow like I had a long arc of puberty. Mm -hmm. I think I'm still going through it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> that's good. That's good. And, uh, I see your hair's coming in. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Little by little. Yeah. Um, and you know, I grew up quick as a consequence of those years. You know, I learned, Hey, look, a lot of kids just don't go to school. Like yeah. they just don't go. So I stopped going to school, doing a lot of skateboarding and the whole thing of being truant got me in some trouble. Um, I got, put away for a little while. You did. I did. I didn't harm anybody. I didn't harm myself, but the school understood, you know, this, if you go to Palo Alto schools are like, you know, as opposed to inner city, San Francisco school, yeah, they're going to find you and basically um, get you at, at least attempt to put you under discipline. You have to yeah. be some teacher from that era's favorite story of <laughs> like bad kid who yeah. flipped it around. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I got out of that place. That place was really unpleasant kids. Let me just tell you the moment the door locks, it sinks in. Like if you, if you think life sucks <laughs> wherever you are in, in freedom, think about how much it sucks when you have no zero control over your schedule, your yeah. food, your life, your interactions. But I learned a lot in there. And, and I learned that maybe um, I wasn't responsible for everything. I was still a minor, you know, that was happening to me. Um, but I got out and unfortunately, instead of shaping up, what I did is I was just a lot more cryptic about my activities. Sure. Which is normal. Yep. Natural for yep. a kid. Got a girlfriend. She became my main focus. I wasn't skateboarding quite as much after that because I got hurt. Got really into tie boxing, lifting weights and running. I mm -hmm. got really into fitness starting early. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a, a football coach at our school, um, Bob Peters. And he was the one who wrote the, the script that eventually became the John Hughes film. Mr. Mom. Mm -hmm. And it was called wait till your mother gets home. And he was this great, big, strong guy. And like all the girls liked him. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. you know that. And this new girlfriend, and I saw a picture of her ex-boyfriend and I was, and he's like this big, strong guy. Oh, that'll do and it. And I was right? like this, you know, this like ferret, <laughs> yeah. you know, like skinny yeah. ferret of a skateboard kid. And yeah. um, so I started lifting weights and doing all that. And sure. Bob Peters taught me how to take good care of my, my body, but also really focused on me also doing running and things of that sort. Anyway, in those years, I'd love to say that I got right back into school, but I really didn't. I didn't perform well in school. I was getting into fights a lot. I, I was troubled. I was, you know, I've never been a drug alcohol guy, but I yeah. dabbled in some substance abuse back then. And, yeah. um, and got, you know, my girlfriend pregnant. Like there was a bunch of things um, that I look back on. I was like, I was really wayward. Yeah. So I followed her. She went off to college and I was like, felt pretty alone. So I was, I traveled down to where she went to school, UC Santa Barbara, and I lived in the parking lot outside her dorm. 
You lived in the parking lot? Yeah, so I like a stalker? So I keep an eye on her. <laughs> okay. No, I'm kidding. Okay. No, because we wanted to be together. And we wanted to be together. Oh, you fucking we, We'd party on the weekends. We'd party on the weekends. And then if anyone went near her, I'd beat him up. Who's that guy? Who's know? that guy that went inside? Yeah, I was kind of, you know, I was really afraid to lose her. You know, pretty soon. Wait, did you really beat up guys that came close to me? I might have. I might have. I might have. And you know what? You know what? This is, and I don't recommend this. I don't recommend this, but you know what? It, it quote unquote worked in the sense that oh, she, it works. she was just like, you're, you know, you're my protector. You're yeah. the person that's really there for me. So we got a pet ferret. We had, you know, the whole, the Wait, whole picture. And at this time, you know, this is like, she, you're, this is like uh college. Age. I should have been, she was a year older than me. So I should have been in high school, but you've now been lifting and, and throwing bombs for a, like a few years, know, right? It's really bad. Guys, don't pay, don't do what I did. Just don't do it. Well, Unless you really want to impress a girl. No, no. Because <laughs> it will Listen, leave I was an determined. I was determined to keep her. And then, um, so we'll, we'll get back to, we'll get back to how this can all go badly wrong. So what happened was I had to figure out a way to get into college. Yeah. Because she was there. And, um, and I didn't think I'd go to college, but I thought, okay, what am I good at? Basically nothing. Um, but I can lift weights and I can run. I like hanging out with friends and working with in big teams of you know guys. I'd done a little bit of that, skateboard shops and factories. And I thought, um, I'll become a firefighter, right? Everyone loves firefighters. I Dude. wanted a dog. So I started taking fire science classes at Mission College in the South Bay. Uh -huh. um, loved the, the work. Just felt like it was just the greatest. It's like cook with your friends and like fight fires. Everyone loves firefighters. Not of everyone course. loves cops. And you know who else loves firefighters? Chicks. There was, I feel there like was a, all of your decisions are chick fucking driven. <laughs> There's a, <laughs> or in, in neuroscience, we say they were hypothalamic driven, yeah, which is the area of yeah. the brain. Here's your first, uh, here's your yeah, first take. Please. The, area of, the area of the brain sits roughly over the roof of your mouth. That's associated with all your primitive drives, you know, the drive for sex and reproduction and um, temperature control, um, aversion of vomit, um, the approach to something that smells delicious. This is all the housed in one little tiny brain area about the size of a gumball uh, called the hypothalamus. Okay. Amazing, amazing structure. Uh, stimulate one small set of neurons in this structure. You, you or anyone else will go into a rage. Stimulate the nearby neurons. I mean, less than millimeters away and you will try and mate with the, the this nearest um, person of your particular proclivity let's get that going where is it now so um and so um there are yeah i guess elon's spinning up neural link you know they, oh yeah they got to figure out where to put the stimulating chip but um hypothalamus probably not high on the list because it, it it's pretty sensitive and and can get unwieldy in any event i i decided i was gonna become a firefighter okay but then someone out at mission college said listen you stand a much better chance of going up the ranks in in the fire department if you have a bachelor's degree and so i took the sat um i have no idea how it happened, but I somehow managed to break a thousand. Not okay. by much. I thought you were no. about to say sixteen hundred. No. I was like, you son. No, of no. A my bitch. my my girlfriend got was like in the high fifteen hundreds. I went to a school where literally they publish the as a double page spread of who was going to what school. Yeah, my Harvard my early admission. Yeah, yeah, blah blah. Yeah. Now listen, there's a dark side and a light side to everything I'm telling you because Gunn High School, G U N N, is the the school that I went to, which is now infamous because the academic demands on kids became so severe that in the late nineties and two thousands, it was the school, the high school with the most suicides in the entire nation. Really? There's a train tracks that run through Palo Alto between the middle school and the high school and kids were killing themselves on the train tracks. Fuck. It's like a rash of suicides. Yeah. You can look this up. Um, very tragic. I, hopefully they've, uh, um, you know, they've solved that problem, but you know, kids at gun high school, are forbidden from meeting earlier than 7 a.m. at the nearby Starbucks to start studying for the SAT. People move from China 
were moving from China to buy homes near there just so their kids could go to that school, public school, right? So this academic rigor thing um, can go a little too far. That's obviously not what happened to me at that stage. Yeah. But I took the SAT, I applied to UC Santa Barbara and somehow I got in, I wrote an honest essay. It just said, listen, I, I was not a good student. Um, I had some challenges early on, but you know, I take responsibility for them. My girlfriend goes to UCSB. I want to be a firefighter. I want a Dalmatian. I like, live in the parking know, lot. I live in the parking yeah. lot. And it obviously touched a chord, you know, and so the lesson there is kids, you know, tell the truth on your entrance exams. Dude, you know? I made up, um, I made up a fucking did story about yeah. did it a work? kid. And I was like, there's a kid, Eric, who inspired me. He was going to die. I made it up. <laughs> Wait, he was gonna. He was about yeah, to die. I was like, they were. <laughs> that is messed up. Yeah, it's fucked up. That's like the basketball diaries. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I was like, like uh, the basketball um, fiction. I was. A, so I was a terrible high school student. Okay. And uh, I was actually curious to know if you were just always like this great, great student as being somebody in academia now. But I was a terrible student, and when I was applying to college, I wasn't getting in anywhere. I don't. I don't think I got in anywhere. I think. I, well, I guess I went to one the school I went to, um, but. I, they were like, you have to write an essay. And I remember I had this friend um, that, uh, whatever, he was just a regular kid. I just decided, I put a disease. I think he, I said, oh, he had cancer. And like, he inspired oh me. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my goodness. This podcast could be entitled, What Not to Do. Yeah. By the way, he's fine. Hello, I'm Johnny Knoxville. And I'm Elna Baker. And we have a new podcast. It's called Pretty Sure I Can Fly. Yep, we've teamed up with my friends and barmates from Smartless to create a podcast where we talk to folks who have more balls in a bowling alley. People who accomplish something extraordinary despite people telling them that it couldn't or shouldn't be done. You'll hear stories about the Air Force doctor who buckled into a 600-mile-per-hour rocket sled and became the fastest man on the planet. And a man who wrestles alligators and sharks for fun. Do not do this. <laughs> You'll hear about a foul-mouthed moonshiner. Got a two-inch dick and a six-inch tongue and knows how to use both of them. <laughs> and an even more foul-mouthed female stunt pilot. We got bull riders. Balloonists. Bobsledders. And big wave surfers. People who lay their balls on an anvil and hand the other fellow the hammer. Okay. I bet you've actually done that, Johnny. Maybe for sweeps. Follow Pretty Sure I Can Fly on the Wondery app. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Pretty Sure I Can Fly early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, more like wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. We use Mint Mobile at the office, and we have been saving so much money since switching over, and setting up on Mint Mobile's website was super easy. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com bears. That's mintmobile.com slash bears. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash bears. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three months plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Okay. He's fine. You cured him. I think I cured him with my love. Yeah, my affection. I got into, no, I got into the only school that, first of all, I never heard of it. And then my, 
I remember sitting with the like a, a high. I went to a prep school where where did you grow up? Uh, well, I moved around a lot, but I ended up going to a prep school in in Florida in in the Vero Beach area, and all the kids they did this thing where they post like, and it was just like Stanford, Harvard, oh, yeah. Yale, Princeton, all the the big schools, all the like the impressive schools, and then there would be like a little drop to the next tier of schools with you see kids. Then there was a couple fuck offs that were doing like you know community college. The same kids it, in the yearbook it said was like not available, not available. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, and mine people would go like, "What is that?" Because the name was Lenore Rhine. <laughs> they were like, "What is, is that?" Like a special trade school. I was like, "No, it's an actual school, a college, uni- a university now." Um, but anyway, I think I think I mean I got I couldn't believe it. I did so poorly as a student. I took the SATs. The first time I took it, I got 1030, which they there were like, go. they were like, Broke that's not that bad. Yeah, it's not and that I was bad. like, I should take it again. Yeah. I took it again. I did. I, did, I got a lower score. And they were like, turns out the random stick, bubble yeah, fill uh, approach. You're like, that's stick to that. that. I think you get 150 points for filling out your name. And the, I thought and it was other more. information. Yeah. I thought yeah. You, I think you get more. Look, every once in a while, I, I look back on that. And I just think, you know, a macaque monkey learned more in my high school than I did. Yeah. And. Um, but a big you know, part of it is that you were not yet applying yourself. That's yet. right. I was very serious about fitness. I was very serious about the girlfriend. I mean, I'd wake up on Sunday morning, run to her house, like run six miles, wash her Ford Bronco while she was at church, just to show her like, I'm, I'm a devoted, hardworking guy. Oh Cause her dad hated me. Her dad hated me. He recorded our phone conversations. And oh yeah, and discovered all sorts of stuff. He had every right to hate me, right? So I was like, a punk. I mean, I yeah, was. A, that's true. I mean, and when I say punk, I mean for me, a, I was also really tight in the punk rock community. Like to me, a punk that's like a term of endearment. But I was a, I was a punk kid. I was getting in fights. So you know, he had a daughter, and he had every right, and I think was reasonable in wanting to have her be with somebody who was really solid. She hadn't yet gone off to college. I think he was worried that she was going to hang back. And, um, you know, he was somebody who had less than a high school education and really made something of himself by uh-huh. um, essentially being a janitor and doing maintenance in all these apartments. So, you know, now I have the adult perspective of saying he was doing exactly what he should have. Right. right? Pr- protecting. So you're a really, you're a really devoted boyfriend. Huh? I was a very devoted boyfriend until I wasn't. Because basically what uh-huh. happened was I got into UC Santa Barbara, went down there and it was crazy. I mean, at that time it was, you know, party central but I had already done a lot of that in the skateboarding world. Right. So I didn't show up wanting to party. I was like, this is just easy pickings. Right. Mm-hmm. I just, and so I was getting into a lot of fights. She and I were getting into a lot of, um, you know, arguments and then no one wanted to go near us because, you know, we were both, we were a little Sid and Nancy like, yeah. right. Um, there were no drugs. I, I, I feel very lucky that I went to college in the early nineties when there were, there weren't, if there were hard drugs, I never saw them. It's really interesting. Yeah. The, you describing what you were like, and the absence of drugs. Because it sounds like all the stories you would hear of somebody going like, and then I shot up. No, then, like, no, no. For me, it was Thai boxing. And um, yeah, I loved her. And and I was really passionate. Do you still practice that? I mean, do you still box? No, no, I didn't. I, I fought a couple of fights. I boxed actually when I was assistant professor in San Diego. Um, I started sparring on Wednesday nights and started boxing. But, you know, I started getting a little stutter from getting hit. And um, so I boxed for a little, like just, you know, going to get lessons and like, yeah. first I did class. It's a and great I did one, sport. And it's the most amazing thing. And then I sparred mm. and I was like, I think I should probably not spar yeah. because I, I feel like I, I need this brain to do the, the bullshit that I do requires my brain yeah. to not well, be rocked. No, I, and, and listen, you, you, 
but you call it bullshit, but it's important. And I think the real estate in here, it can't be replaced easily. My lab works on neural regeneration and, yeah, I learned a lot. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've always had that drive. And so I, looking back, I probably should have done jujitsu or something that, you know, Joe and Jocko tell me, or Lex tells me, you know, you can go really hard in jujitsu without having to worry about your brain, about getting, you know, yeah. concussed. So, you know, those years were pretty wild, but so at the end of my first year, the girlfriend and I had broken up. Um, no one wanted to go near us, right? Um, I had basically failed out of my classes. I really? was I was really dismayed. Um, and you know, what happened that summer was July 4th, 1994, a bunch of friends threw a barbecue. Some guys were stealing some stuff from the house. A big fight broke out. Police showed up. It was like knives, bottles, the whole thing. And I stayed up. I stayed on my feet. It was good. I didn't get arrested that day. Actually, one of the cops congratulated me. And I remember feeling just kind of the pit in my stomach. Yeah. So I went back to where I was staying alone. I was squatting in a house in Isla Vista that summer with my ferret. You know, I got the ferret That's in, right. in the divorce. In the breakup. Yeah, yeah, in the doors. And I remember thinking, like, I basically am, like, I've I'm officially a loser. I'm not very good at skateboarding. Haven't done that in years. You know, okay, I've got some drive to do fitness. I work at the Bagel Cafe. It's a job, um, but it's a minimum wage job. Girlfriend's gone, getting in fights. Someone's going to get killed or go to jail, either me or them. And it was really that day that I decided that's it. So I took a leave of absence. I didn't drop out. I took a leave of absence, went home to Palo Alto um, and went to Foothill College, community college. And this is a plug for the community college. You know, community colleges get kind of a bad rap, especially when you're, you know, you're hanging out with Stanford professors and, you know, I'm probably, sure. there might be one other Stanford professor. If there's more than one, let me know that went to community college. They all went pedigree schools. Sure. And, um, you know, some went to UC Santa Barbara, which is a good school, but I think you can get a really great education at community college or any school if you just apply yourself and focus. It's about your, you're trying to do well. 100%. Yeah. And there are good teachers at all these places. There are bad teachers at all these places. The bigger, yeah. more famous places, sometimes the researchers are too busy to put a lot of effort into their teaching. And sometimes they're spectacular, like Robert Sapolsky. You know, it, it varies. Now, at this point, though, yeah. I'm jumping in here. But at this point, are you still thinking, I'm going to be a firefighter? I'm just going to get this degree? I didn't know what I was going to do. Honestly, I, I realized that I was basically, I, had a, I got an A-plus degree in being a loser, mm -hmm. right? Because in my book, everything I would describe, you know, it sounds like kind of a wild ride. But, you know, I had a number of friends at that point that were dead or in jail. That really just flamed out. Really? And also was watching some of the better skateboarders that I grew up around. Uh, like Danny Way, start DC shoes, you know, doing amazing things. So you're like, like, that's so cool. Some people are soaring, but I always knew I didn't have the athleticism that they had. So I had a hard talk with myself and I basically thought, listen, okay, I'm, I think I'm frustrated and angry about stuff that happened in childhood and, you know, the kind of like break of my family, but, you know, boohoo, like no one's going to care. I'm 19. Yeah. Right. You know, the moment you transition to that, it's like, no, the, the, yeah, the sad story is like, yeah. you're just a loser. So, um, or I was a loser. So what I decided to do at that point was I asked myself, what am I good at? What do I like? And I've always loved biology and animals. I've always had a ton of curiosity for learning. Even in those crazy years, I would go to tower books, kids. It's a bookstore. It doesn't exist anymore. And I'd read about fitness or I'd read about animals or I'd read about sex. I was like, you know, in the book stacks, like trying to learn as much as I could and, or psychology, and so I thought, well, I can learn and memorize things, especially if I write them down. I'm just going to go all out at learning in school. So I took classes in psychology and biology and really became a straight A student, 
through a lot because of hard work. Because you were interested too, though. And I was scared. Okay. Honestly, I was scared. Scared I, to be a loser? Scared to be a, a big... loser. And also, I, you know, I, the girlfriend thing did have a lot to do with it. Because I thought, you know, if I were to just start a family now, how would I support anybody? Yeah. I became very practical very fast because, um, you know, there wasn't anything to fall back on at mm-hmm. that point. And, you know, I'm sure had I gone, you know, hat in hand to my parents and said, help me out, it's all your fault or something, you know, that they would have done something, they're good people, but that actually would have been the worst thing for me. And I know a lot of kids that were living at home that I'd gone to high school with that were kind of of the not so ambitious crowd that were on the dole that way, you know, 1500 bucks a month. Or my friend who was a professional skateboarder was making $2,000 a month, which at the time we were like, whoa, you're killing it. Yeah. And then all I did was play video games. He dislocated his shoulder and he kind of, you know, became a, like a, you know, he's a good guy, but, um, you know, just kind of got into drinking and pills and mm, got fizzle, a girlfriend fizzle, and yeah. he works a job, you know, so yeah. he did fine. Yeah. But, you know, I saw the escape route and I took it. And so after two quarters, I asked my dad, I said, listen, I want to go to the school up in Washington, which is a journalism school. And he goes, no, the university of California system is a public school system. And you're going to go get a real degree, like a science degree or something. And, um, and I was still pretty angry with him, but there was something true in that message. I felt like, okay, rigor's good. Rigor's good. I was feeling kind of Henry Rollins about life, like, mm-hmm. you know, lift weights, study. So I went back, I lived in a studio apartment by myself and it was listen to Rancid, Bob Dylan, classical music on repeat, drink coffee, workout, study. And that, that was, was it. it. And once a month, admittedly, I'd go out and just tie one on. Yeah. I would just let loose with friends. But over time, I started noticing, you know, the days after that, I'd really struggle to study and do anything. Yeah. You recover pretty well in your early 20s, but- That's a you know, big fucking change from these days. Because I can have like one drink yeah. and feel it. And then if I have two more, I feel like my recovery is like 72 hours. Yeah, it's lousy. And if you're tracking your sleep, you'll see it's really oh, lousy. Yeah. yeah, there's actually a trick to the hangover, but I don't know if I want to give it to people because I don't know if I want people to uh, to drink more. Oh, I did a, We did an episode on alcohol for the, we'll my podcast. We'll cut it out. Go ahead. Oh, no, the Huberman Lab podcast. Actually turned out to be our most popular episode of 2022 is about the, you know, the health effects of alcohol. Look, I am not against drinking for, you know, most adults who aren't alcoholics, um, who aren't pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, but really when you look at the data, it's a toxin to the brain and body. There are some health benefits in, in certain studies, but the idea that you're going to get resveratrol from, from wine, I mean, you'd have to drink so much wine to get that enough resveratrol. Is your beer fridge feeling a little empty? DoorDash is your door to beer without the run. Whatever drink you're in the mood for, they've got you. Order your alcohol with DoorDash today and drink in the savings. Use code BEARS. 24 to get 25% off, up to $15 value on a $35 minimum subtotal on your next alcohol order for eligible users only. I mean, there's like sometimes you just don't want to leave. That's me. Once we're at a spot and we're hanging out, I just don't want to leave. And now you don't have to. The alcohol selection on DoorDash is top shelf. Beer, wine, mixers, mocktails, and more can be delivered straight to your door. Save up to 25%, up to $15 value when you spend $35 or more with code BEARS24. So whether you're grabbing drinks for an event or staying in for the night, DoorDash is here to help you have a great evening any evening. Terms apply, must be 21 or older to order alcohol, drink responsibly, delivery and promotions available only in select markets. Buying someone jewelry is usually a great experience all around. They get a beautiful gift and you get the unforgettable moment of seeing the look on their face when they open it. The only tricky part, figuring out how to get the perfect piece at the best price. This is what I recommend for any jewelry purchase. Source it 
from BlueNile.com. Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds and fine jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. They also offer a peace of mind with every purchase with some of the highest quality standards in the industry. They're available 24-7 by phone or chat to answer technical questions and give recommendations for every budget. The thing about buying jewelry is you really don't know what you're getting into. You don't know what you're looking at often. And the great thing about working with Blue Nile is you have somebody who's a true expert that can help guide you along the way so you don't feel lost, so you know what these diamond grades are. You know you're getting real value. You can feel great about your purchase because Blue Nile also offers a diamond price match guarantee. And just in case you don't, they offer 30-day returns. Shop Blue Nile today and experience the ease and convenience of the original online jeweler. Go to BlueNile.com today. That's BlueNile.com. Basically, you can have two <laughs> drinks a week yeah. and still be okay. Most people are drinking far more than that. Yes. And, and here's what I say. If you're going to drink more than that, then you should do a bunch of other things to support your health, right? Try and get good sleep, get exercise, you know, cardiovascular yeah. and uh, weight training exercise. Try and eat mostly non-processed, minimally, minimally processed food, get sun in the morning, all the, all the sort of Huberman Lab podcast staples of health sure. and well-being. We could talk more about these if you want. But, um, but in any case, back then, you know, I'd go out once a month, tie one on, have fun with friends. Um, everyone wanted me to continue to get in fights and you kind of get egged on to be your former self. But right. yeah, so there was no smoking weed. There was no wildness. Um, it was just study. And I wanted to be the A plus student at the end of the curve. I want to be that data point out there. So I got really competitive. And across those next three years, um, you know, I just, aside from one class, and it still pisses me off where I got a B plus, it was just straight A's the whole way. What was the B plus class? It was in developmental neurobiology. And guess what I became? A developmental oh. neurobiologist. That's probably why. Yeah. yeah. I, it just still got me that the, the teacher was super tough. And um, I love the topic, which is why I eventually pursued yeah. that. But, um, you know, I, I finished. So you're a big fights guy, though. You got in so many fights. I, I back then. And you know, look, another point I, that's important. Uh, I never was the aggressor. This in was, any of the fights? No. Well, OK. I, I suppose if, if so, <laughs> I suppose if somebody was like, you know, there was this whole thing. I was very protective of my girlfriend. Dude, know? this fucking yeah. girlfriend. Man. OK, but but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I don't want to say her name. My friends yeah. know her name. But the other thing is she was also a fighter. So, oh. you know, there was, was a, she known as what is, I mean, I don't know if this is an academic term, a, a mouthy broad. Oh, uh, no, she was actually pretty quiet, really? but, but you wouldn't want to piss her off. I remember because, so I, we had broken up and I got kind of a wandering eye at that point. I started seeing other people, you know, this sure. kind of thing. And she, yeah, she, I mean, she would walk up to girls then and shove them and at parties and stuff. So pretty soon no one wanted to go near us. So we had only one option, which was to get, get back together. But, uh, um, <laughs> this is like fucking it's Jerry crazy. Springer. It's crazy. It's crazy. Right. Um, we were, we were two kids who had really hard home lives. No, yeah. it's not a sob story, but yeah. we had hard home lives and we became each other's family. And, um, it's confusing at that age because you're each other's family, but you also are feeling the pull of, you know, you should date other people. You're sure. trying to explore in the in the world. So, I mean, eventually what happened was she graduated ahead of me. I took a little longer because of the time away. Moved home um, and I stayed there, graduated. And then I went to graduate school first at UC Berkeley and then um, and then later UC Davis and then was at Stanford and San Diego. And then now I have my lab at Stanford. So, um, you know, in those years, I did what I could with the resources I had, which was not a lot, even as a graduate student and postdoc. I mean, the 
tell you, they don't make enough money these days, especially, but I did my best to try and, you know, do therapy, which I'm a big proponent of. I know a lot of people think that's just sitting back and blaming everybody else. For oh, like problems. talk therapy, like psychoanalysis? Yeah, like talk therapy. Yeah, yeah. I actually started working with the same, continued working with the same therapist that I did when I got out of the lockup. Um, and I, I'm not embarrassed to say this cause I think he's spectacular and I really needed someone to advocate for me as you know, cause my parents weren't in a great place to do that at that yeah. time. Um, but we've continued to work together for 34 years. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I've used insurance when I could, and he'd cut me a rate when he could. And I, uh, I worked extra just to be clear when I was a postdoc, I worked at Thrasher magazine, skateboard magazine. Yeah. So I had money to pay for therapy. So I took it seriously, just as seriously as the gym. But I will say if people don't have access to that, you know, journaling is powerful. I still have stacks of journals that I'm afraid people are going to find and read. Yeah. Um, not because there's anything damning in there. It's just embarrassing. It's you embarrassing. put all your thoughts, yeah. you know. Um, journaling is really powerful. What the data say is also just talking to a trusted friend, even if they don't respond. Yeah. I mean, they still, probably shouldn't be yes. texting while you're doing well. it. But even if they don't respond leads people to better insights than if they just try and process it's the, things purely It's the in their baseline, head. Um, uh, like what, what to do to basically rid one's self of shame is that the mm -hmm. I, shame like thrives in secret. Yeah. So when people feel shame, they, they tell you like the first thing to do is at least find a trusted source to even if they don't say anything. Yeah. So then you go like, yeah. oh, it's out. Like I yep. didn't, it's not. Yep. inside and, and, and a secret I've, I've done therapy now for, I, I think I'm just coming up on, I think this will be like 11 years. Coming Fantastic. Up. I love it. Same therapist. I, same. Well, I started, no, I started with one, but this one now is the majority of the time. So it's probably like seven years with this person. Great. But I, I, I love him. I think yeah. it's fantastic. Well, a few years ago, I would have been afraid to ask this question, but now I can ask it. Cause I've had several guests on the podcast who are colleagues of mine who work in this area. Um, uh, have you explored psychedelics? I just did. Which for one? the very first time, which, and by the way, these are all illegal unless in a clinical trial. So don't possess or sell these things. You will go to jail, but which ones did you do? So first of all, it was a awesome experience. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know what I was going to get. And I told the, uh, told the people that were organizing this, I asked for a private, cause they do like mm -hmm. groups. I asked for a private session. Um, and I got like this really beautiful place to go to. Cause I, I, they were like, do you want us to do it at your house? I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? You're like, have you so, seen my house? <laughs> I'm like, no. Uh, and I have kids and I'll be like walking around the house. I was like, yeah, what's that, up that, boys? Yeah. So I, well, uh, imagine what your kids would be doing. Oh yeah. yeah. They'll be like, dad's being fucking weird. So <laughs> I, uh, I got this beautiful place and then I still had there. And then the, you know, they say, and I, and I agree with this, that to go into it with intention. Right. Right. Like that, that's like kind of like, if you're not going to do anything, at least do that. Go in. Don't just go like, I want to feel some shit, like right. have an intention. Right. So I shared that, which, you know, I won't share, but I shared the, what the intentions were. And then they, I asked them like, what am I going to get? And they go, we found that it's best to tell you afterwards. Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, so I've never heard of that. Well, this is like, I'm not saying it's wrong. This I is mean, like the week in advance. I see. Right. Then like the day of they go, we're going to give you this first. And it's an African plant called Kana. Okay. A K A N. -N -A, oh yeah. That's a serotonin. So you have um, neuro neuromodulators, dopamine, serotonin, uh, acetylcholine, et cetera. They do a bunch of different things all over the brain and body. I but Kana increases serotonin. I think it's a serotonin yeah. dump. It right, is. which is a lot like what psilocybin does. It is. So, yeah. but the thing about uh, this particular um, 
is it, it says, Specific. Oh, it looks like dopamine also. So MDMA stimulates dopamine and serotonin. Release. Well, they call this one the love one. Yeah, that sounds, so it sounds like an empathogen, mm-hmm. um, which MDMA is. And um, yeah, Kana is a very interesting compound. Well, I wasn't just done after that, buddy. Oh, that was just no. the, that was the base coat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then I comedians, got- Comedians go hard into the paint. Yeah. <laughs> you know then that? I got a, I got a second uh, dose of Kana. And then they were like, they were gauging me because I, I got a place where I could separate from them, but they yeah. were just kind of like I supervising. Uh, no, well, I actually went into a room that had a, a set up light show on okay. the ceiling yep. and a, uh, a speaker that was playing like uh, a, a playlist of like chants and music. Mm-hmm. And I went into a really good place with this. And then they were asking me, they were like, do you want to like, how do you feel? Do you want to just like go down or do you want to? Like, do you feel like you want to take this further? And I was like, rocket ship. Let's go. Yeah. So then I got the, uh, uh, the psilocybin psilocybin, Mm -hmm. and that was prepared in a chocolate that also had ayahuasca. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. So I did that. Wow. And then I was just like, you were out there. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was pretty great. Yeah. You know, I, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, a few years ago, I would have never brought this up. Um, because the, this stuff was considered super at the edge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, academics losing jobs and that kind of thing. I mean, the, the counterculture movement of the 60s and 70s obviously focused on psychedelics. Yeah. Um, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, yada, yada. But meditation and psychedelics were synonymous back then. What happened in the 90s and 2000s is a lot of laboratories took meditation seriously as an exploration. A lot of good science to support meditative practices as ways to improve focus mainly. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think it's a relaxation exercise. It actually improves focus. We could talk about this. Psychedelics were still kind of earmarked as, you know, drugs that were illicit. Then what's happened in the last really five to seven years is thanks to the incredible work of Matthew Johnson at Johns Hopkins University and a guy named Robin Carthart, who used to be over in uh, London, but who's now at UC San Francisco, clinical trials started on psilocybin and then the MAPS group out in California. So this is all done legally, clinical trials with federal taxpayer money done at universities, major universities, looking at the antidepressant, long-term antidepressant effects of things like psilocybin, MDMA, MDMA in particular for trauma. Um, and the data are astounding, right? 66% of people who do, you know, these two MDMA sessions spaced appropriately in conjunction with a clinician, you know, you got someone there to, to support um, them, show, you know, long-term depression relief, this kind of thing. We did an episode with a guy named Dr. Nolan Williams, who's one of these in, incredible, incredible doctors at Stanford. He's a triple board certified neurologist psychiatrist who's doing work on Ibogaine, um, there's another psychedelic, uh, psilocybin, all the various um, psychedelics. And he really emphasized, you know, that obviously kids who are developing should stay away from this stuff. I, I would say, you know, before you're 25, you might want to think seriously or really, you know, reconsider because the brain is still plastic. But what's very clear is that these compounds, they provide a dump of these neuromodulators like dopamine or serotonin in particular ways. And in those very unusual states, of sometimes hallucinations, but different modes of thinking, the brain learns new associations. And and on MDMA, people can see something that is very traumatic that's been looping in their head or that they've been hiding from themselves and see it from a new perspective. Yeah, And and this is really important. People think that everything that happens, it happens during the psychedelic session, but that's just the opening of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is just a process. The question is, where is it directed? And so here's the double-edged sword. If someone takes psychedelics and just pays attention to the music that they're listening to, there might be a few insights there. 
but it is sort of waste of, it's a waste of plasticity if you ask me, because there's a real opportunity to ratchet through some of the, the more challenging things. You can use an intention. Other times people will just kind of let what comes up come up through the subconscious, like the Freudian psychoanalyst would would have done. Um, I, I'm very direct about this. You know, I did psilocybin and some LSD when I was in high school and college, completely regret it. Did not have good experiences. Some weren't bad, but had some bad experiences. Just do not recommend it at all. Why? I just wasn't intentioned about it. I wasn't in a place to really make sense of what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that the brain is so plastic until about age 25 anyway, that there's a lot of good work that can be done through just insight, hard work, et cetera. Um, as an adult, I've done three, um, in conjunction with an MD, uh, three different MDMA sessions, um, each of which was very different and each of which really helped me move through a lot. A lot of forgiveness, a lot of being able to feel. I, I used to be able to feel things like in my head, I could have emotions and waist down, I could feel, but it sort of, my body didn't feel like a coherent whole when I'd have an emotion. And I could like, I was really good at packing down emotions. Yeah. And then, you know, how, and they erupt one way or another. Right? Yeah. So that all largely got resolved. Uh, you know, um, I'm not obviously not from, I'm far from perfect. I, I always say I have 3,000 pet peeves and about 3,000 flaws to match those pet peeves. Mm -hmm. So they go to hand in hand. And then the second session, was just, I finished it out. It was very mellow and it was just all about acceptance. And then the third session really was a deep dive into some complicated stuff that I've been trying to navigate more recently. And I would say in every one of these cases, it matches exactly what the clinical literature shows, which is that people gain new insight in positive ways that allow them to be more empathic towards others, but more importantly, more empathic towards themselves. It, this and so a, again, you know, this isn't, I'm not, I don't want to send people off to get these things. Obviously the, I would enroll in a clinical trial as an academic. I have to, the responsibility of saying, if you want to do this legally, I would enroll in a clinical trial or go to a place where it's legal and work with a physician and don't look at these things as magic bullets, but rather opportunities to do better work. They're a little bit like, frankly, a little bit like performance enhancing drugs in the sense that, do I recommend people take anabolic steroids? No, but if you're really into fitness and you've already reproduced, successfully reproduced, and you know, you're in your mid to late forties and you're thinking about taking low dose testosterone, like, yeah, you can do a lot more exercise. Yeah. If you just take it thinking it's going to replace the exercise you would have done, yeah. forget it. And again, that has to be done safely too, in conjunction with an MD, but they really amplify the plasticity process and the clinical data are astounding. I mean, uh, there's a, there's a real shift now among a huge ac shift. Academ academics, academics, at the level of government funding. And the last thing I'll say about this, you know, um, is that I think is important is that within the veterans community, there's a group called Veterans Solutions. Again, I don't have, I don't get paid to say this or anything, but I've paid attention to what they're doing. These are former special operators of kind of what they call tier one operators yeah. and other operators who, you know, basically they, their careers put them in the face of a lot of stuff and they're tough as nails, but they come back and a lot of them are challenged with some of those things and who oh, wouldn't tough, be, yeah. right? And so I went to an event that Veteran Solutions put on on Veterans Day last year in Coronado Island, which of course is the home to BUDS and SEAL team training. So you got a lot of tier one operators there. You also had, I won't name names, but you had far right politicians and far left politicians on the same stage talking about the benefits of, you know, responsible use of psychedelics as therapeutics to offset the enormous wave in suicide that's been happening in veterans. And so you look at that and you go, okay, that's one very important community, but there are other communities like this. And this is the one place where I see, you know, partisan politics actually meeting in the middle. Sure. It was just, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Couldn't, Governor Rick Perry was there talking about heart medicine. I was like, what? You know, and you had other folks like Rick Doblin from MAPS who, who 
was like a conscientious objector. And he, you know, he had, the, he had the guts to say that in a room full of tier one operators. Sure. I was like, wow. And, and listen, I was scared for his life, but you know, everyone really centered around the fact that people grow up, have different experiences. And at some point, I really do think that the only opportunity to really meet in the middle for social issues and political issues, economic issues and everything in between is going to be through plasticity. I think after age 25, people are pretty locked into their modes of thinking, even if they don't like those modes of thinking. They still are, yeah. Totally locked in. There's very little change. Being set in your ways is a real thing. This, uh, I mean, that experience, for me, by the way, I'm I'm already very much looking forward to the next one because mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoyed it so much. Yeah. And I've, I recommend- Insights. I mean, insights. not asking for them. Obviously, no, no, those are personal. I know, I know, but, but insights, you felt you had insights. Insights. Uh, I love, by the way. So one of my, because I had zero experience with this, the only thing that I could even relate this to was basically cannabis in some form, right? And 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 more are you so. A pot smoker. I should know. Nah, this. I don't. Okay. I don't. I haven't yeah. smoked in a. Yeah, you don't sound like you know the pot smoker. Eh, nah, no, you no. Know, but nah, they I, actually messes up their time perception of hearing, so they have that like drawl. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. The the pot voice is a real thing. That's a real yeah, thing. Yeah, and it also adjusts some of the neural innervation of the throat that controls speech. I mean, pot smokers, not all of them, right? Some are highly articulate. Yeah, highly articulate, but some of them just sound dumb. The chronic smokers, well, yeah. especially. But listen, and I nukes, mean like people yeah. that it are- It nukes the memory system. Yeah. Like high THC. And of course the THC community is crazy. We did an episode on cannabis and people were like, you got it wrong. You didn't talk about the terpenes and the, look, I don't have anything. I, I don't have any problem with, I'm basically like live and let live. It does yeah. as long as you don't harm anyone. But kids vaping or smoking high THC containing cannabis- I mean, there's a huge predisposition towards psychosis in those kids later, especially young males. A lot of what you see in terms of homelessness on the street, a lot of that psychosis is high THC cannabis induced. And nobody likes this mess. Very serious. There's amazing research out of Canada on this. And then here's what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to take away anybody's cannabis. I know the cannabis culture worked hard to get it legalized in a number of places or decriminalized. So I'm not trying to take away from that. But young kids, in particular, young males smoking very high potency, meaning high THC concentrated yeah. cannabis, you know, indica, indica couch kind of, you know, weed might mellow people out or sativas might make them more ramped up. This is kind of broad, broad sweep stuff, but cannabis is not an innoc, you know, innocuous drug. Well, I, my only experience, I mean, I had obviously some smoking. I smoked a lot in college, you know, and, and just Were out of college. funnier on, on, yeah. I don't know, Do man. Do you write on, on uh, Sometimes, but it, it has yeah. to be, here's the thing. It, it can't be uh, really, really strong because then you're just like, you're too high, you yeah, know? You're, so you're it's space time warped. It's, it's gotta be like the right kind of chill dose to, I feel like to shoot the shit, to write, to right. to be in a creative space. It's not, hey, does, is this gonna melt my fucking face? Well, I, I have a question about gonna... this and comedy in particular, because, you know, I've been watching more and more comedy, thanks to you guys and Joe and, you know, Schulz and all, all yeah. the, the, the crew, um, Whitney. So, timing seems like such a key thing. And the one thing we know about cannabis is that it throws off time perception. And the reason it was synonymous with the jazz culture is that it was about a breakdown of kind of standard timing and and, uh, structure in music, which done well is amazing, amazing jazz. Done poorly is just like noise as far as we know. So it seems like comedy is, at least to me, is like 50% timing. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty accurate, I mean, timing is a huge, it's like when you say the thing now, yeah. It's funny. Right. Right. Or hilarious. If you go 10 seconds later, right. it's like, what was that? 
Like yeah. it's, it, it lo- like it's all about, everything's about like the moment in which you say it, right. you know? But yeah. I find that I, what I'm thinking that blows my mind are, is like the comedians that perform high is it's always wild to me because I think the hardest I, well, one of the hardest I've ever bombed was, was with Rogan. Uh, and we're right outside and he was like, smoke this or like hit this. Yeah, was, but he's superhuman with that stuff. Well, you not only that. And I was like, no, he's like, come on, don't be a, and I'll edit out the word. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I'm like, all right. And I, you know, I think I took a hit, maybe yeah. two, dude, immediately. First of all, my tolerance for when this happened was low, probably lower than it is now. Now I don't know how low it's, it's low now. I don't have a high tolerance for no, this. No, I haven't smoked uh, marijuana. So in so long that like, you know, so anyway, I go into this club and I'm like, I am fucking fried, <laughs> right? And I forget. Meanwhile, if, Joe's ready to like kickbox. Oh, he's totally, yeah, he's like totally he's like, on point. He's good. Yeah. He's like, he's like, a, it's that Italian blood of his. I don't know what he has. Country. He's got crazy yeah. monkey Italian blood, but he fucking, he's fine. He's like, he's yeah. like excited to perform. And I'm in the opposite headspace. I'm like, I want to go away right now. I want to leave, but I gotta, I gotta go up and I go up. I forget if I open. Want to go away right now? Uh, Not the thing you want to be telling yourself. No, man. And I go out there, and I can. Here's the thing. So, and I and I took part. Part of this is connected to this psychedelic conversation for me. Is that that was from smoking, and uh, yeah. Also, when you eat, I've I've had more edibles than I have. So, and and it's all about finding that dosage because you can you can eat an edible where it's like a buzz, and then you can eat edible where you're like and you're like ready to cry. And like, it's, it's a, I find that to be a horrific experience. I look, I go up on that show with, with that, that Joe show and I get off stage and I, I mean, I see the owner of the, it's like the worst thing you could, it was a club and I walk out of the backstage and I see the only club and he was like, 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 I was like, I was like, yeah, uh, I was kind of a, he was like, That's he didn't rough. even, he didn't even say what it, he was just like, yeah, because it's also the spontaneity of it, right? I mean, I don't do comedy, but we did some live events this last year and that we finished up in New York. And it, I honestly can't ever remember what I said when I'm up there. I yeah. mean, I know the general structure. It's science and we talk, but I do some storytelling and things around science, of course. And um, you, you sort of go into a, a altered state, right? Yeah. But that altered state is highly tuned into the interaction, Right. You're not trying to feed wishes. You're trying to, you know, there's a whole dynamic there. And I just don't see how one could do that under Dude. any kind of substance. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, I, so I always perform sober. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm to this day, like if somebody goes, do you want to have a drink? I'll be like after the show, right. I, I don't like mm-hmm. to have anything yep. messing with my head. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you want to have a drink? Yeah. Can you wait till the moment I get off stage? Like, do, you know, I, I just, I like to be clear because the other thing is like, if you even, I can have a sip and you're like, that's not going to do anything to you. But like, if it, has me doubt timing or structure or a word. And like, I, then I'm like, why the fuck did I have that drink? So I just Uh, rather be completely sober. And when I, all this is to say that when I got into, I signed up for the psychedelic experience, my big thing that I was nervous about, I was like, Hey, yes, I go, am I going to be paranoid? Am I going to have anxiety? Or, you know, there is a common fear of I'm going to lose my ability to do what I do for a living. Oh, I didn't. I wasn't as worried about that as I was that like I've had edibles where, you know, I learn later, like it was 50 or a hundred, like, you know, something where you're just like, ah, like like, the variability (laughs) isn't good there. And I was like, is that what this is like? And I remember them, the people who ran this go like, 
you're not gonna have any paranoia. And I was like, I thought that meant mild. Now and that's because you had the the kana, the empathogen first. So it creates this serotonin and dopamine normally they can be present in the brain at high levels, but usually not at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, dopamine, when it's elevated in our system, we tend to pay attention to things outside and beyond the confines of our skin. Yeah. And we like to make plans. So think about the extremes, and I'm definitely not recommending this. People on cocaine or amphetamine, everything's a plan, right? right. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Yeah. We're going to do this, right? Yeah. Someone who's- That really resonated yeah. in the booth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> manic, manic bipolar. Right, uh, delusions oh, are great. I'm going to run for president. I'm going to this. I'm going to. I'm going to like. Oh, plant. the fucking Jews. Yeah. Well, that. Well, so what's interesting is, well, you know, I did an episode on bipolar, and we've had several expert guests. When I observed those interactions, yeah, um, I didn't see um, delusional plan making. Oh, right. No, but who knows what he's clamping that with in terms of medication? I don't know. I don't want to get drawn into that conversation. It's probably just a good a, idea. Yeah, it's just a. You know, I think that bipolar depression, as it's sometimes called, or just bipolar illness, is, is so serious. You know, it's one of the highest suicide rates. Number one death rate for any psychiatric illness, anorexia nervosa. Mm. Huge percentage die from starvation related illnesses. That's number sad. two, bipolar. Suicide risk goes up 20 to 30 times for people with bipolar. So when we, now that the bipolar conversation is kind of, around right now people, people need to be it, yeah. very very you know serious when somebody is in a manic episode and then they come down from that yeah. they're at 20 to 30 times the risk of suicide so it's, that's a real one um but they're making tons of plans in their manic thing why elevated levels of dopamine now serotonin tends to make us feel it does these things uh, dopamine serotonin do a lot of different things in the brain and body but serotonin is more about satiety. It tends to make us feel comfortable with where we're at and focus mainly on things within the confines of our skin, perception that to things inside us, how we feel in terms of how full or hungry we are. Do we feel good in our body or, or agitated? That's called interoception. Perception of the outside world is exteroception, internal interoception. So if you think about it, paying attention to the outside world and paying attention to your inside world, highly un, not incompatible states, but MDMA and Kana and things like those, seem to do both at the same time. And so as one is experiencing new ideas, new thoughts, new considerations about things past, present, and future, you could, in, under those conditions, people have a, a kind of an empathy for themselves and a kind of recognition like, hey, this is different and weird, but maybe there's a learning to be had here that mm -hmm. it isn't scary. Now, cannabis is different. It hits a bunch of transmitter systems, these two different receptors, CB1 and CB2, mainly present on the hippocampus, which is associated with memory, which is why- People have shit memories. They have, they have terrible memories when they're um, smoking a lot of THC containing cannabis. Now, I will say in favor of cannabis, there are pure CBD forms of cannabis. There's one called Charlotte's Web that's only available in Colorado that the parents of kids with serious epilepsy move to Colorado just so that they can get because pure CBD cannabis actually can, I'm not gonna say cure, but can alleviate the otherwise completely debilitating epileptic seizures. So it's in a fascinating plant with incredible compound Properties. And do you do the, the in your cannabis episode or in, in general, do you do a huge distinction between smoking and consuming it, you know, eating yes. it? Because that does release a completely different. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, th I think the big the big question nowadays is, is vaping as bad as smoking? Right? There's a lot. There are a lot of data now showing that the lungs take some serious abuse from, from cannabis vaping. use. Vaping is bad. Okay. I'm sorry, folks. I'm not I'm not. This is whenever I say cannabis has some bad features and some good features, but it's better for you than alcohol. It's like, all right, well getting hit by a bicycle real hard is, you know, yeah. is not as bad as getting hit by a bus, yeah. but you know, and that's not a fair analogy, admittedly. What's the verdict yeah. on cigarettes? Are they bad for real? Okay. Nicotine, but here's what's crazy. Yeah. Nicotine yeah. is neuroprotective. 
Nicotine is great for us. Not that everyone should take it, but it increases acetylcholine and dopamine and epinephrine, leads to heightened focus, improved memory, That's and great. is can offset neurodegeneration in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Yes. Okay. Can we basically have yeah. this blurb yeah. that says Professor Huberman says smoking cigarettes no. is good for you? No, okay. because smoking okay. cigarettes, okay. smoking cigarettes is bad because it's carcinogenic. Oh. There are about a thousand carcinogens in cigarettes. Vaping is bad because of the chemicals that you're inhaling with it. Dipping and snuffing, not that the snuffing is just weird. Does anyone really shove tobacco up their nose? I mean, that's nose. Yeah, yeah that's snuffing. They'll put no. tobacco. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and rape, which is if you look at rape, R-A-P, like people put the tobacco up their nose. What? Um, oh, Who yeah. puts it up Listen, their fucking muc- nose? Muc- mucus membranes, right? Mucus membranes. Um, as far as I know, no one does, uh, you know, uh, you know, tobacco suppositories, but, you know, mucus membranes. Oh, in yeah. The, you know, any mucus membrane that stuff can get across. Look at this fucking guy. Um, it's R-A-P-E. It's not recommending this, but here's what's interesting. Um, I R-A-P-E. Have a- A-P-E. Jesus Christ. This guy fucking failed middle Shaman, school. Shamanic snuff. Okay, this is, I think Michael Pollan wrote about this in his, but yeah, they actually put it up the nose. What? Um, and dipping or snuffing, right? Yeah. Did you ever did? mouse cancer? No, no, no. I moved to Florida and that was one of the yeah. first things I, yeah. I did. A and kid I, in high school, Nick Mitchell. Oh, sorry, Nick, this is bad. I guess you know, Nick Mitchell came out of the, he, he, he chewed some tobacco. He came out of the bathroom and he was Kermit the Frog Green. Yeah. And just vomiting the whole night. Oh, yeah. That was enough for me to see. But um, but there's a Nobel Prize winning neuroscientist at Columbia University who's kind of infamous in our field for chewing five to 10 pieces of Nicorette a day. There's, and you ask him, why are you doing this? And he said, well, I do it for the focus and the concentration and offsets Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Now, I'm not recommending people do this, right? But it, nicotine is a powerful nootropic. It makes us better able to focus. Well, then how is Andrew Huberman getting his nicotine? <laughs> Sounds like I, you would you know, not. I take, I, I'm a, I'm a supplement guy. I take alpha GPC, which is a different acetylcholine okay. agonist. Um, 300 milligrams. Are you a big supplement guy? I am. Okay. Since I was in my teens, I discovered there are compounds and supplements that are just terrific for me. Um, you have to get, you know, good sources, but there are a lot of good sources. Have you done the thing where you ever, got away from any of your supplements and noticed the actual, you feel different. Yeah. You do. Yeah. I take, I mean, I take a number of different things, but I, you know, it, I don't recommend using supplements every time you study, but you know, a double espresso or a nice black coffee or yerba mate, you know, for the sure. South Americans, Vamos, the non-smoked ones, smoke yerba mate is carcinogenic, but you can get the non-smoked versions. Um, and just the pour over tea. You don't have to buy it in the bottle, you know, um, they're not a podcast sponsor. So I'm just, you know, just saying that what he's just, take, he's just telling you the truth. But alpha GPC, 300 milligrams or 600 milligrams taken every once in a while before a workout or before studying. And you are like a laser. I need the full, you got to, I'll give you the list up before you yeah. leave. I'll, okay. send, no, I'll send you the, the package. I sent Bert some stuff. I don't know if he ever took it, but um, uh, I sent Bert some, it wasn't for focus. It was for some other things. Was but, it, was it in a bottle of tequila? No, <laughs> no. Uh, like d- Supplements like L-carnitine, um, oral or injectable L-carnitine, incredible for sperm health, egg health, and overall kind of mitochondrial health. And then you say, oh, well, how could that be a supplement? Well, listen, in Europe, it's a prescription drug for that specific purpose. So you can find that there are supplements that are really powerful. Like a lot of people don't want to go straight to, you know, full-blown TRT or hormone augmentation and shouldn't, right? Because it'll it does shut down your own testosterone production, et cetera. But testicular atrophy, testicular atrophy, people will take HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin yeah. to offset that. But in any case, um, supplements like Tongat Ali, 
you know, at 600 milligrams a day or Can, 400 milligrams a day and Fadogia agrestis, those work. Now, are they going to give you TRT like results? Are you going to become no. the liver king? No, but, do but you, all you, if you want to be liver king, you have to follow the nine ancestral tenants of living <laughs> though, right? Uh, listen, the, the, <laughs> then the, getting some morning sunlight. I'm a big proponent of that. that Is I that think, one of the nine I think, ancestral I, tenants? I think so. I don't know them. Um, cold exposure, et cetera, et cetera. It's a real shame what happened there, um, mostly because it could have been avoided. It um, could have been avoided. Here's the the thing. I mean, this is this has been addressed already. And people but knew. I had been tipped off long ago. Well, but I, I wasn't going to make accusations, right? you know right? what I knew? When I fucking looked at him the first time? <laughs> like, it's it's yeah. very obvious yeah, if, you've, uh, if you've been in gyms and you've been around, yeah. um, like, people in fitness, that you, you it's, it's very clear when somebody is like juice to the gills. Yeah. What is an interesting thing to bring up? And I'll, I'll leave, I mean, I feel like he's been dragged. I'm not trying to drag him. I know it's, it's no, no, and he's be, been out there apologizing. And, yeah, and, 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 and people are now, now have the opportunity to form an opinion. Here's right? the thing that's kind of interesting though, about, about, um, uh, PDs and, and, and having crazy physiques is that his story has brought something to the light that is, is actually, I think is worth addressing. And that is, you know, this was done for, for women. They started to go, hey, these, uh, these body types that you are seeing on magazine covers, do you know these are all photoshopped and airbrushed? And like, you know, even, even when there's like the outliers, meaning like this genetic freak, a gorgeous woman, a 10, like, you know, just like an, oh my God. They're like, even she has this done on the cover of the magazine, right? Oh, well, and, yeah, well, there's also now the cheekbone elevation, but they're doing glute a, implants. But, yeah. but for men, I'm saying, one of the things that is is not, and, and it's funny the way that it's being um, d- dealt with, is that our biggest movie stars right now are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. It's it's wild. Those are the the top box office draw, draws are 40 to to 60 and Leo over. Leo DiCaprio looks natural. <laughs> That's a natural bot for <laughs> right. sure. But the other ones are not, and they all have a thing of like, don't bring it up or I'm just going to be like, no, Look. I, I work out. And it's like, why aren't you just telling the masses and the people who go like, I mean, how do I do? Cause there's a lot of people like you have a fitness background or there's people who like are exposed, who know about nutrition, weightlifting, recover. Like they know the world. A lot of people don't know anything like they have no idea. They, they think that like, they're like, Oh, that's from like just going to the gym. Right. They just, they don't know. And you have guys who are starring in movies with these impossible physiques and they should be just saying, yeah, I was on a fucking, I was, I'm on all the shit. Yeah. The pharmacy, but they go, don't and, say it. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I paid attention to this space for a long time, not because I've been interested in bodybuilding, but starting in high school, got into weight training, yeah. got into supplementation. I've tried, look, if there's a supplement out there. Chances are I've tried it. Yeah. And I know which ones work and I know which ones don't work for me. We talk about a lot of them on podcasts. If anyway, if people are interested in we cover these and um, we have newsletters and toolkits and stuff and they're all free. So you can download them from our website, but there's some telltale signs. Okay. And you know, and when people have a huge physique and they're hypervascular, sure. There's some possibility of a genetic freak there, but um, actually I know one, right. Um, a got, white guy. Uh, no, Nasima, right. who's okay. um, Mark Bell's co- kind of co-host. I know exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Nasima, I believe, I believe is natural. Nassima, I, yeah. I've seen his, and I've seen his, his blood work and I've trained with him and you look at him and he has high fiber density, long muscle bellies. He's lean. He trains hard. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's like, look, yeah, look, and Mark Nassima, is not, Mark is not natural. Re, Mark's not. And Sima's also, um, 
bodybuilding. His, yeah. his name starts with an N. Um, the Enzima was bodybuilding at a young age. He obviously has some genetic gifts. And works has, super hard. Has taken care of yeah. himself. And um, he's... Uh, he's done the Fidogia Tongat thing and actually talked about his results with it. He had, I believe uh, it was an increase in luteinizing hormone, which is the precursor to testosterone and estrogen increases. So, you know, there's some effects there that people... After I started talking about it on Rogan and some other places, I got a lot of pushback. And then now Tongat Ali is being marketed like crazy. It's, it, you know, increases in libido. Again, these aren't huge increases. But sure. They're substantial enough in men and women. Fidogia for increases in luteinizing hormone. But the basic, the real but, tell is if you see a white guy yeah. who's in shape, you know he's on gear. <laughs> uh, here's here's the deal. Uh, here's yeah. the deal. If there are some telltale signs, and yeah. uh, obviously Brian Johnson, Liver King had them, but others have them too. So I'm not picking on Brian at all. And you know, I hope that he sorts out his health because his real risk is his health. When I looked at what he's taking there. The MDs I know who are in that space were just like, yikes. You know, they see a, a patient and a potential health hazard. Yeah. So I hope he gets it sorted out. One thing that you'll notice is when people go on TRT, they'll do, these creases get deeper from some of the edema, the, the tissue retention that comes from the increase in estrogen associated. Uh, so if you look like at- Like a the, gaunt kind no, of No, you look at the creases between the nose and the cheeks, yeah, how deep those creases are, uh-huh. right? So almost like the, the cheeks are trying to crawl up on the nose. Wait, so what's Even happening Even though somebody's there? lean. Uh-huh. It's edema, it's, um, uh, which is swelling to, t- uh, excuse me, um, fluid retention because some of the testosterone converts to estrogen. So people then will start taking estrogen blockers or a, what are called aromatase blockers. And then, you, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but if your estrogen is pushed too low as a male or female, your libido crashes. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the bodybuilders that look like they're wrapped in saran wrap, yeah. ask them how they're feeling. Okay. It's not, you know, often not great. No flatline their libido. So you don't want to crush your estrogen either. You don't want it too high, but you don't want it too low. And they have like these, this shoulder muscle that is usually a tell for people. So there's a lot of androgen receptor in the deltoids and traps. So some people say the traps, the real telltale is this creasing here. Uh And even from TRT, people are taking, and TRT of course being testosterone replacement therapy, but there's no line between TRT and full-blown steroid use, right? right? Like where do you draw the line? And in some professional sports, I've been told directly by the players in some leagues, what you'll find is that if you had an injury, you can take up to 200 milligrams of testosterone a week, a week, a week, which is usually what's distributed over a two week period for a kind of standard TRT. So don't tell me that they're not also on it. And I won't say what league it is, but basketball anyway. So the, the, like the players all talk about it, right? They all talk about it. It's absolutely clear. I didn't say which basketball league. No, that's right. In any case. So, so also those abs are kind of wild, right? On this guy. And you you see some lean guys. We had a gymnast that went to our high school and another guy that went to the Olympics for losing of all things. And that kid was lean and he was natural, right? But but the bulk on top of that. Well, so it's the creasing here and then there's the left side vein or it's a major artery when somebody's talking and they're not having just finished some physical exercise and they got this left side vein kind of bulging out of the side that's yeah. the elevation in blood pressure and you see that in almost everybody that's on high levels of trt or full-blown kind of steroid use not always yeah. and of course if a normal person who's not on not, if a typical person who's not on these things is doing a set of squats in the gym you'll see that yeah but you can see that's just in conversation sure and so you know, there's these telltale signs and there's the the, ready, the ruddiness of the skin. People get yeah. a little bit red because of the increased blood flow. And listen, a lot of these folks are also taking things like vasodilators, like Cialis and Viagra to kind of get more pump into the muscles before they shoot their things. It's a whole- They're taking 
Psyos and Viagra before their photo shoots? Well, to get more va- uh, blood into the into their muscles. I mean, it's a whole world. Really? Of pharmacology. This is a, I didn't. I didn't know oh, yeah, this. Yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> um, now, keep in mind that that Cialis actually low dose Cialis was actually originally prescribed as a prostate drug because it increases blood flow to the prostate, can offset prostate cancer and midnight, uh, middle of the night trips to the bathroom. But that's low dose, not for erectile dysfunction. It's, and a lot of football players now in the NFL are taking Viagra prior to games to lower their blood pressure and to increase blood flow. There's there drugs in sports. Drugs are rampant in sports. I know this. And I have yeah. friends in, I have friends in like three, actually four uh, major leagues, uh, major leagues of, of, of like the big sports in, in, in the United States. And I've heard different drug stories from each of them about like what, you know, so I knew that I did not know about the, Viagra Cialis thing. Even in biathlon. Really? Ski and shoot. What would you like to happen when you go from skiing to shooting? You'd like your heart rate to slow so you can hold the gun steady and yeah. focus. Propranolol, you take a beta blocker. So there's a ton of this stuff. And a lot of it's banned. Some of it's not banned. Um, How are they not yeah. all hard when they're taking Viagra? Uh, I, well, so the interesting thing about those are. drugs, about Viagra and Cialis, is they increase peripheral blood flow through disruption of this enzyme pathway. Again, low-dose Cialis to Dalafil, like, you know, in the five milligram per day range is a common treatment for prostate um, sure. health that, you know, I think actually more men should know about. Yeah. Because prostate health is extremely important. And it, and it kind of gets lumped into, the drug kind of gets lumped into the um, sexual performance arena without, and, and doing so overlooking its potential roles for a prostate health. Yeah. Because increasing blood flow through the prostate can help with a number of things. Prostitis to be one, but other things as well. But- the way those drugs work is that the neural pathways associated with um, with uh, sexual arousal have to be triggered before uh, the erection response happens. Ah. So it's not, so when they're playing football, yeah, you know that they're. You but know, if your hands in the dirt and you're looking up at a guy that you really want to fuck, and you just took a Viagra, you could get a result. Um, I'm guessing that the the protective gear kind of shields, oh, yeah, shields yeah. the viewers from yeah. that. But that's, that's um, too bad. Yeah. The, uh, um, so, you know, there, drugs in sports are rampant. I actually really want to get um, Jeff Nowitzki, I think his name is, that they call him the golden snitch. He now works for the UFC. He was the guy that did the whole Bal- uh, Balco, yes. Barry Bond scandal. Oh, that'd be a cool Look, There are new drugs being developed all the time. I love this as kind of a hobby topic, um, not on TRT. Yeah. Oh, that's Jeff Nowitzki. Yeah, so he's definitely not on TRT. He's the guy that busts people for it. Yeah. Um, UFC is actually one of the more heavily drug tested sports. And I've seen their banned substances list. A lot of UFC fighters contact me about different things. And I just say, listen, refer back to the list. But you know, there's a lot also happening. You mentioned Hollywood. So this is all the men, people are thinking muscles, but on the female side, yeah. peptide use is rampant. Peptide use is huge. Okay, so it's sermorellin, sermorellin, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to pronounce it, which is a IGF-1 and growth hormone Secretagogue sounds like synagogue, but secretagogue mm-hmm. stimulates growth hormone release, not as potent as full blown growth hormone, but makes people leaner, kills their appetite, tissue repair. Um, I take BPC 157. That's for tissue repair. That's a gastric peptide. I don't take it now, but I was taking thymusin beta 4. Yeah. So unclear to me exactly what thymusin beta 4 is. I stopped. I, I stopped really yeah. just because. I don't know. Well, you look like you're in good shape. You were flexing out there in the lobby. My whole life I've been trying to gain weight and I can't. But um, (laughs) I just have one of those bodies, man. Um, You you look really fit. I was going to say, I walked in, like we've never met in person before. I know, I know. Thank you, you, man. We're related. So it's like, this is an important control experiment. Once Mm -hmm. I knew you were coming on, I was like, I know Huberman's jacked. I got (laughs) to fucking get ready. I mean, I've been training since I was... 
15, 16. Uh, You're 16. an anomaly of a professor. I mean, I'm, I don't think when people think of professors, it's like old guy, tweed coat, pipe. Yeah, we, we have some fit ones. There's a guy at UCSF, Lou Reichart. He and his brother climbed Everest. Yeah. He's like freakishly strong. He's tall and thin. You see a lot of endurance athletes in that, academia. That, I, that yeah. makes, adds up. Yeah. There's sort of a size threshold beyond which if you're yeah. too big, people yeah. think you're dumb. Sure. I'm not saying that's what I think, but, um, so I've never wanted to be, re- I'm, <laughs> yeah, not, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I've never Look wanted at to be this big, dumb you know, fuck. Once you waddle, once <laughs> yeah. you waddle, yeah. right. There's sort of a, and I don't know why that stereotype came to be because, um, there's certainly some very smart, very muscular people. Sure. Um, with degrees. And, and it's always you know. surprising. Honestly, it is. It's like somebody like really muscular says something remotely intelligent. You're like, get the fuck out of here with this guy. Like, this, <laughs> there, there you go. Perpetuating yeah. the stereotype. Yeah. Well, but, it's true, but you know, it's I, fucking true. Well, also, you know, that there's a history to this that I don't want to um, take us down a rabbit hole, but you know, the running movement of the, you know, the seventies, the whole Nike yeah. movement, Steve Prefontaine and all that endurance sports have always been synonymous with most of the sports played on a college campus, you know, tennis, badminton or badminton. I don't know if anyone plays badminton, tennis and cross country and all these things. They, you know, for people to feel fit and look like an athlete, but when they say athlete, they mean the kind of more svelte, you know, shapes. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's only recently that people have started doing resistance training. I mean, the data clearly say, clearly say that at a minimum, everyone should be getting 180 to 200 minutes of so-called zone two cardio, which is the cardio that you can do, but just barely hold a conversation uh-huh. per week minimum. And then on top of that, you need to do somewhere between six and 10 sets per muscle group in order to just maintain the, not, the musculature, which yeah. is very important for everybody for metabolism, health, posture, ability to be resistant to falls. And of course, if you do those sets really hard, you know, to failure, progressive overload, yeah. then you're going to also you know, gain muscle. Gain muscle, yeah. But, you know, I think that now the world is a little less afraid of getting bulky, but still, yeah, there aren't many professors who are in the gym training three, four days a week. I've always done three or four days of weight training a week and three or four days of running per week. Yeah. One day per week minimum, I do sauna, cold, sauna, cold, sauna, and you, cold. And you st- you've stuck to this. You still do it. I do. Yeah. I mean, I, there are days when I miss, you know, my run this morning was as long as my normal Sunday run, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I try and be consistent over time. How long do you typically run when you do a long run? My long Sunday run is anywhere. For, maybe a, I'd like to get in a one hour slow jog on Sundays yep. or throw on a weight vest and go for a long hike. That's cool. Sometimes, you know, with, with the girl, you know, so, um, is this a girl that you're sleeping in the parking lot to? Uh, no, okay. no, 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 no. Well, luckily I don't have to do that no, anymore, you know. but, but we like to hike and talk. And so you can do this socially. And, and then like, I, what was that guy fucking looking at? I'll go break <laughs> no, his goddamn neck. No, 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 no. no <laughs> that, that part of me was put to rest a long time ago. You know, that would be so me, funny if no, I, if I didn't no, know you and I'm on no, a hike and I'm no. like, that's Andrew. I'm going to look and you're like, what the fuck are you looking <laughs> no, at? Like, no. I look. no, I was never like that. I was never like that. The, oh, goodness. <laughs> goodness gracious. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, I come from my mom's side is from Jersey. My grandfather was like, a G, he went to college on the GI bill. He like boxed in the army and he had this, he was one of these never lifted weights, just mm-hmm. push-ups, pull-ups, dips, sit-ups and box jumps and things. And uh, boxed um, ring boxing and had this like incredible physique. He was super strong. He yeah. Farm work, you know, grew up blue collar worker yeah. until he went. Those guys yeah. are other Those level. guys. Yeah. yeah. And GI and the whole thing. And so. Um, you know, growing up, there was this like fighting spirit in uh, half of my family. Yeah. So, and, um, and there was probably looking back a little bit too much encouragement to be uh, like protective man of the house. But yeah. you know, when I was a kid, I felt like 14, I was a man of the house. So I also sort of part of that back then was me 
just trying to feel safe. That makes sense. And make people feel safe. But I was not an aggressor running around beating no, people I, up. I, Watch out, some <laughs> stories will come out of UC Santa Barbara okay. now. But, and I feel bad, <laughs> you know, I feel a little bad about some of those guys that I beat down with. Hey, listen, they should have just, you know, yeah. you know, just paid attention to they what was They should have fucking looked the wrong way. <laughs> uh, so wait, I, one of the things I want to say though, about, about the stereotype though of muscular dudes uh, uh, and that it, it's, it's rooted in truth. You, if, if you've been around, I've been around a bunch of fucking meatheads my whole life. And a lot of them are dopey as shit. Like the only thing they care about is like their chicken breast and their creatine and their, but, but that's what I'm saying. The, 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 as time has, has passed and and progressed and you find, uh, you know, muscle like resistance training and lifting becoming more generally accepted, you find, and you find people that are like, have crazy physiques or really, and then are articulate and, and well thought out. But I think it's, it's rooted in the thing where like for a while, it was just like these dopey dudes. Well, it was assumed that if people were that large that they were spending two hours a day in the gym, which is not required actually to get that large. You had, you know, bodybuilders like the famous Dorian Yates, who was famous for very short, high intensity workouts, yeah. probably one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time. Actually, when I was in high school, I worked hard to save up a hundred dollars to get a phone consultation with Dorian's um, uh, kind of mentor of sorts um, mm-hmm. named Mike Menser, who was a, unfortunately he's dead now, who was a proponent of very short, high intensity workouts. I remember Mike calling- How short are we talking? We're talking sometimes 30 to 40, 40 minutes twice a week or something. It was really excessive. Mike was also an amph- uh, known to be a bit of an amphetamine user. Nice. Um, so, you know, and unfortunately he and his brother Ray died young, but I remember um, my mother- saying, you know, why is this grown man calling the house? And it was Mike Menser. Uh-huh. And what was interesting is he gave me some training programs and my, I reacted very well to those training, very infrequent, very high intensity training. But at that age, at 16, 18, 19, you know, you can your do almost anything. Respond, you're you're yeah. on an, so many circulating androgens. Yeah. Mike was a very smart guy and actually read a lot of Ayn Rand and was, was really kind of an intellectual of sorts. Um, and he was the one who said two really important things to me. Well, three, he said, first of all, don't use anabolic steroids because you're not going to become a competitor and it's just a waste of your health. Great advice. And never did it. Later in life at 45, I can talk about this that I did a foray into low dose TRT. I've, yeah. I've been open about this. So, yeah. and why and what it did. And it was for an experiment and for a book and some things. And I, I found some really interesting results related to testosterone and brain health. Okay. He said that, then he said, learn to really enjoy training hard. So I've come to develop this thirst for training hard. Yeah. I, I look forward to it. It doesn't feel like a pain to me. It feels like adventure and yeah. I love it. And then the third thing was he said, get good at something else. And you seem to like information. I highly recommend. He said, I don't believe anything PhD set say. He said, he referred to him as PhD for piled high and deep. That's what he said. But he said, you seem to have a hunger for information. Yeah. So I think you should focus on school. And like, here I was, you know, 16, it took me a few years to really yeah. listen to that, Yeah. but it was it's still embedded in my brain. And so occasionally you get a guy like Menser who's really smart, who's, you know, got, you know, 20 inch arms and this kind of thing, or, or, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, obviously. Yeah. There are some neurons firing in there. Oh, yeah. So there are exceptions, but I think that, um, by and large, um, you know, the jock phenotype and the intellectual phenotype are not always synonymous. Sure. But I wanted to know, um, has it been at all on your radar, a challenge and in any way that, you know, you're a professor, obviously, like I know, you know, that's the, 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 the science and the work is what's most important and all this, but you know, you have this podcast that has become a huge hit and that you're now a popular professor. Do you like sense 
you know, that the jealousy or stuff from other, that has to be. You mean, are they the source of the death threats? (laughs) Well, I mean, there just has to be like some of them. They're like, wait, you just get on uh, your fucking microphone and you talk about shit. And then, well, and oftentimes, so, okay. So I'll try and keep this answer short. First of all, Stanford has been immensely supportive, really immensely supportive in part because, you know, I think they value public education, even though it's a private university. Yeah. Um, also, we featured a lot of excellent work, laboratories and professors and clinicians from Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the podcast for me is an opportunity to showcase the amazing work of people like Nolan Williams. It was going to take years before people would discover who he is. Yeah. He's doing amazing work on psychedelics and transcranial magnetic stimulation, curing depression in people that would otherwise suffer from depression forever, for which talk therapy, drug therapy therapies were not working. So people like him, you've never heard of him, right? The, yeah. My goal is to make the world know who he is sure. so that his work can flourish, this kind of thing. Um, Anna Lemke wrote Dopamine Nation. She didn't need my help, but putting her on to talk about addiction, she's our head of a dual diagnosis addiction clinic at Stanford. So Stanford supports me in part because I'm happy to put on my colleagues. We also put on colleagues from other universities, sure. right? Everywhere from Cal State Fullerton to Harvard Medical School. But I can showcase great work. Second of all, most of what I talk about is not my own laboratory's work. Mm-hmm. We work on stress. We work on neural regeneration. I will sometimes talk about that work and especially vision and visual repair. A lot of your podcasts are you learning something That's from right. your guests. That's right. I'm going is- to school by calling people all week and developing these solo episodes where I just blab about a topic or I bring somebody on and I develop tools. I would say that about a third of my colleagues have been extremely and directly supportive like saying, hey, I'm really proud of you. This is great. Thanks. Science needs this support in the world. Um, And by the way, I'm getting my morning sunlight and, you know, I'm starting to take off the 45 pounds. I mean, a lot of academics are very unhealthy. Yeah. A lot of physicians are very unhealthy. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, a dentist with bad teeth would never be in business, but science, you can do a lot of science while slowly killing yourself. One of my neighbors as a kid, when I was a kid, cardio, uh, cardiologist, it's like fucking a hundred pounds overweight. Yeah. There's some, there's some like, terribly so unhealthy crazy. physicians. Yeah. That's a whole landscape. I don't know. You should get P- uh, Peter Atia on the podcast. Um, he's yeah. an excellent physician who's in great shape. He's also a big fan of yours. Oh, um, and he's yeah. great. He's amazing. And he, he knows he can explain that landscape in medicine, in science. Yeah. You've got some geeky scientists um, who don't take good care of themselves. And you have some that are starting to take good care of themselves. The tide is kind of shifting. So I would say about a third are directly supportive, like, Congratulations. Keep right. going. We got, okay. Now the th- next third, yeah. I don't hear from them. These are people that I used to think were my close colleagues and friends crickets. Like I, I haven't heard a peep from them. So either they're angry about it. Haters. Or, or, or they're kind of waiting. How come I haven't been invited on That's the podcast? That's a big one. A big well, one is that. And we only bring people on the podcast that are top 1% in their field and that can, <laughs> and that can, com- and that can communicate yeah. well to the general public. Yeah. Because I'm not going to bring somebody on to give a lecture that they can, would only give to their like two closest colleagues because no, that's no, a waste no. of everybody's time. And then there are about a third and you, you know, you hear from them mostly on Twitter who are kind of like sour grapes nitpicking about this and yeah. that. But I always say this, look, we started, I, you know, I started doing this thing in 2020. I started going on podcasts and it was the pandemic and people were stressed. They weren't sleeping well. And I kept waiting for the National Institutes of Mental Health or somebody else to come out there and talk about something other than vaccines and say, hey, here's how you deal with keeping your sleep regular, social connection. Yeah. Here's what's going on. And 
nothing. So I stepped up and I did it. That was the year that kind of everything kind of took off. And then 2021, we just started podcasting and I figure, look, I'm teaching. I don't get everything right, but I try and get, I try and get everything right. Well, and you, I listen to feedback and, and also I feel like, Hey, listen, if they have a problem with it, listen, it's a microphone, a couple cameras and you put up an RSS feed. It's a yeah. little more than that. I have an amazing team. You have a team, but, but you know. here's the thing as a listener, what, what I think people get out of your pocket, a, you, the, the listener feels like I'm learning. I'm learning something. And not only that, like if you want to like even like step back broad, like overview of this, there is something about going, I have, I have time right now to do something. And if, um, you know, I, I can do something like I could, I could look at Instagram photos. I could, you know, listen to music. I could, I could do all different things, but when you're a podcast, if, if you choose to consume that as a listener or a viewer, what you end up feeling like is I did something positive because it's a learning, it's a learning experience. So not only did I, did I learn something It's that I can look at the, how was the time spent and the time was spent in a positive way. So you, 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 you feel like you did something constructive, which is a feeling you can't, you can't orchestrate this feeling. It either is something it is or it isn't like you can consume something that is a distraction something that is amusing, you know, you can, like, it could be something that's funny or whatever. But if you feel like you, you gave yourself to something like a, a professor and like the topic is, you know, something in the, the brain, you actually feel like I did something positive for myself. And that's a, a big thing I think that your show provides is that it's not just the specific information. It's that I did something constructive with my time. Oh, thanks. That's very gratifying. Look, it's a labor of love. I'll tell you, uh, when I was six or seven years old, I used to go to these carnivals where you could throw the ping pong ball into the little thing and win the goldfish. Yeah. I was like, really into aquaria, but I noticed they weren't um, sending anyone home with chlorine, dechlor. And mm -hmm. I was all worried about these fish. So my mom used to take me around to these carnivals and, I, and I'd, give, I'd give you dechlor to dechlorinate your fishing. But that is you had to listen to me lecture about chlorination. And so, you know, and then I study on the weekends and I come into class. I was like, tell everybody about medieval weapons or about the coral reefs or something. So I've been doing this for a long time. That's really who you are. Yeah, it's really kind of who I am. It's that little geeky and I'll, kid. I'll go and out so, and say know. it for everybody. That was, that's adorable nah. that you did that. That's well, adorable. the goal is always to try and provide information that's, you know, interesting, actionable and clear. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I, it's a labor of love. Like the other day I thought about how much money, would I take in order to stop podcasting? Yeah. There is no number. If you offered, no joke, if you offered me a hundred billion dollars. You still keep doing it. I, I wouldn't take Because you want to keep teaching. No, but I wouldn't. Oh, if you said, yes. take this to stop podcasting. Yeah. Oh. Now, and there I realized I could do a lot for the world with that money, but yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a compulsion. Um, and it just, the word that comes to mind, I know it's a, it's a word that people might have kind of funny connotations of, but I, I love searching out and researching and finding things. And when I find them, I just want to tell the world about them. And it's, yeah. there's a sense of kind of delight. Yeah. I, I, it must be the same feeling that when you come up with a joke that captures something so true on both sides of an argument or a joke with like makes people realize just how ridiculous you just, people are. Yeah. It's like, how can you not tell that joke? There's a feeling you get where you, you just go like when you just know it's a good, like it, it's, right. it's, it's a simplified way of saying, but when you're like, this is a good one right. where you are just right. it, like you're just rocking. Right. And it lives in there. you. Yes. And so my feeling is if the information just lives in me and I'm walking around kind of basking in that feeling, it's not really doing good in the world. Yeah. And so most of what we talk about on the podcast is, you know, mechanism, but also a lot of behavioral tools. Yeah. So sure. We talk about nutrition, supplementation and stuff, but most of them are zero cost tools. Mm -hmm. And I, I heavily weigh my time toward speaking about tools that work the first time and every time, because they're not hacks. They are 
based on the way that we are wired up. One thing I appreciate that you do, and I really mean this, is that there are some staples of Huberman that like, um, that you bring back up Mm. over and over. And the reason I value that is that most people, a lot of people don't realize, like a lot of people go like, oh, I have this uh, bit of information to share, right? Like uh, 10 minutes of sunlight. They go, I said it. And then they move on. And then, you know, somebody goes, hey, what about that thing? You're like, yeah, I said that. And I, I posted about it once. It's like, yeah, dude, not everybody that even follows you captured that that time. If you're actually into teaching, you need to repeat things like over and yeah. over and over, even to get it to the full audience. Like if you post something on Instagram or, you, you know, you have a two million followers, like Small whatever, fraction, a, a fraction of them are going to yeah. see that. post. You have to repeat things. You have to say them over and over. For people like, let's say, listening right now, what what, and why, why should people get sunlight in the morning, 10 minutes of natural light? Yeah. Getting sunlight in your eyes early in the day, even if it's through cloud cover, we mm-hmm. can talk about how to do that. I would put right up there in the top batch of mental health, physical health, and performance enhancing behavioral tools. And it's completely zero cost. It takes a little bit of time, but here's the idea. And this means actually natural sunlight. That's right. Yeah. And you should stare at the fucking sun, right? Well, you, blink, blink okay. if it hurts. When okay. the sun is low in the sky, you can look at it directly much yeah. more easily without pain. But if it's painful, it's okay to blink. Okay. Uh, don't damage your eyes on account of trying to get the sunlight. Here's the idea. A little bit of background just to kind of nest this in something. Every cell in your body has a little 24 hour clock. Viewing the sun, in particular morning sunlight, on a consistent basis, I would say 80% or more of the days of your life is what you should strive for. So it could be 100%, could be 80, but try and do this daily. What it does is it aligns all of those clocks in a very precise way. And it does this by activating specific neurons in your eye called the intrinsically photosensitive melanopsin ganglion cells, but forget that's all geek speak, connects to your brain and informs all the cells of your body what's going on in the outside world and aligns them. So imagine going into a clock store with every clock as an alarm clock and they're on different schedules. Mm -hmm. That's what happens if you don't view morning sunlight. When you do view morning sunlight for about, I would say five minutes to 10 minutes on a clear day, try and face in the direction of the sun. Don't do it through a window. Don't do it with sunglasses on. Find to wear eyeglasses or contacts, even with as UVB protection. Don't wear a brimmed hat. You know, just look in the general direction of the sun, even if you have to be on your phone, but just kind of get some sunlight in your eyes and blink if you need to, if it's painful. Look away from it a little bit if it's really bright. That morning sunlight coordinates all the cellular and organ systems of your body and does a couple of things. First of all, it boosts a number of chemicals need to be released early in the day, such as cortisol, which is healthy if it's released early in the day, and the so-called catecholamines, which are dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. What is that? Oh, excuse me, dopamine, norepinephrine, and, and uh, epinephrine. What does that do? It gives you increased focus, energy, and alertness through the morning, increased immune system function throughout the day, focus throughout the day. And it sets a timer on some other clocks in the body, including the one that releases melatonin about 16 hours later to make you sleepy and fall asleep easily. This is my biggest struggle, by the way. If you don't get that morning sunlight for one day, no big deal. But if you don't do it for two days or three days in a row, what happens is that morning increase in cortisol still happens, but it starts getting pushed out towards the afternoon. And that is strongly associated with depressive symptoms anxiety Mm -hmm. and sleeplessness at night, which then just makes it harder to function during the next day. So getting five to 10 minutes of morning sunlight when it's clear out in your eyes, when it's clear out on an overcast day, people say there's no sun here. Okay, look, unless you live in a cave, there is sun. I don't care if you live in Seattle in winter or Tromsø, Norway 
in winter. There is sun. You got to go outside and see it. And the goal is to really flip on as many artificial bright lights throughout the day. Most people make the mistake of not getting morning sunlight in their eyes or driving to work with sunglasses or looking at the sun through a windshield. Then they get to work and it's kind of dimly lit because they have windows that are tinted. And so you're never getting enough light in your eyes early in the day. Then they go home at night. And here's the diabolical thing. From 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., you really want to keep the lights dim. If you want to put in red light bulbs, that's even better. That's kind of geeky. Um, you can just, sorry, red light vendors, but you can literally just go buy red party lights. It works yeah. just as well in most cases. These aren't the ones to bask in front of naked. I suppose you can do that too. But the point is that you want to avoid getting bright light in your eyes from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. Why? That plummets dopamine and melatonin, disrupts sleep, and can lead to issues in next day cortisol and even learning issues. This was beautifully shown by Samar Hattar at National Institutes of Mental Health. It's a good friend of mine, but also a fabulous circadian biologist. So morning sunlight on a cloudy day, maybe 10 to 20 minutes, really overcast day. If it's really overcast, you wake up, ah, oh, it's ugly out. Your goal should be to get outside, be under an overhang, try and get some light in your eyes with no sunglasses. Then during the day, you really want to crank the lights. On a clear day, get outside. And then people say, well, I've got kids. You don't have kids. Have you ever tried to do this? Well, first of all, you don't know my home situation. Second of all, um, <laughs> you go outside with the kids. They need it too. Yeah. People say, does this work in animals? Of course it works. It was discovered in animals and then shown in humans, yeah. right? Um, every mammal needs to do this. And dogs and other animals even will orient towards the sun. Ideally, you're seeing some sun in the morning, again in the afternoon before it sets, and then limiting your nocturnal light time, light exposure. You can Tell dim me your screens. Tell me this. Yeah. What is limiting my nocturnal light? Cause this is my, yeah. my, if you were to ask me, what is your biggest health, uh, thought like, you know, care sleep with, issues, right? Sleep. You have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep? Well, no, it's, well, first of all, I'm in different time zones. Yeah. You know, I'm winding down a tour for a moment. Then I kind of ramp back up. Okay. We, I've got protocols for jet lag. I'm always like, we I'm did always, an episode, but I'll send you the protocols for jet lag. Okay. I'll get you straightened out there. But it is, yeah. it is that I, I think, I, I mean, look, I, when I was single and without children, I was a lunatic. I was always staying up till like three in the morning and, and, you know, waking up at like 11. Like, sure. We did that. Yeah, I did that yeah. in graduate yeah, school. So and, like, yeah. that was like, uh, so most of the time now though, I'm going to bed, you know, well, it depends if I'm on tour or not, you know, I'm home right now. So I'm home. I'm probably going to bed like around midnight. Yeah. And I'm You're probably American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of this like 9 PM. No. Yeah. That's just never, that's never going to happen right. with me ever. Great. But, midnight, listen, going to bed somewhere between, you know, 10 p.m. and midnight is normal for yeah, most people. Yeah, I try to make it Waking happen, up somewhere between, you know, 5.30 and 7.30. That's, I mean, unless you're Jocko. Yeah. Right, getting yeah. a bit, for, I mean, he's, he's training at 4.30. He's out of his fucking mind. Okay? Yeah, well, That's, he's, yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, talking about natural, not natural, I just want to point out, yeah. natural. Yes. But and also free, and, he has, he has wrists like this. Yeah, let it's me like also, my bulldog Costello. Like it's just born with giant wrists. Not wrist, a normal right? guy. No, just, yeah. just big and solid, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and um, yeah, th and look and see none of the creasing, no. like he doesn't, and not in the ruddiness. And right? surprisingly, white guy. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised that uh, you imagine Jocko on TRT would be a scary oof, thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he should do it. Please don't do it. Yeah, look, great guy look by at the way. That rock yeah, fighter. also a very kind person. There's a great that I love the comments on YouTube. Yeah, because that to me is like you know. And there's one I forget where it is. Maybe it's at GQ or something where someone says that um, when Jocko came out. The, the doctor said, it's a man. <laughs> it's a man. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, that's a real man. Yeah, dude. exactly. Um, so, okay. Yeah. Sleep issues. So getting, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically that, uh, you know, 
I'll have a couple of days at home that are a little more tolerable. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, you know, I get on a plane, um, I go to Eastern time. You know, we have two yeah. shows. I, How long I, are these are these forays overseas or wherever? You know, two well, days, four days? So a road, a road, a domestic road week could be four or five days. And, and it might be, in some cases, like three different time zones. Flying or, or bus tour? It'll be mostly flying in some bus. Okay. The bus sleeping is, by the way, I have... Ex- so when this tour started, I was doing, we you know, the overnights. So show ends at midnight. We do something. We were, we're on the bus at 1 a.m. and we're driving. We're getting to that location at 7 a.m. I was like, nah. Because what would happen is I, I, we did it and I just, I didn't sleep. Yeah. I, I'd finally fall asleep at 4.30. Starts pulling you apart. It, it was, it was killing me. So, so I, so I've got to, do you supplement for sleep? I've started taking magnesium. Yeah. Mag three and eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. so we have a, a there, here's, a, here's what I recommend. And so for jet lag and shift work, we have an episode on that for most people just go hebrewroomlab.com jet lag shift work. You just scroll down or search for everything's keyword search, um, organized there. Um, there's a lot that, uh, you know, to do for shift workers and for jet lag. I'll put together a protocol for you based on whether or not you're traveling one way or the other way. But okay. here's, it, it all relates to where your brain thinks you are two days before. So it would be too in-depth to go into now. But let's say you're going from, you know, uh, Austin to New York and then to California and then back again. We have to think about where your body and brain thinks it, it is and then adjust the timing of light. And it's very easy to do. And you can even use a little light box or you can just get outside at the appropriate times. And you'll want to throw on sunglasses every once in a while during the daytime to avoid getting shifted in the wrong direction. Okay. So I can teach you how to do that. Um, very easy. But I think most people, I would say about 75% or more people who have sleep issues find that getting this morning sunlight in their eyes, again, not through a window or windshield. People are like, can I do it through a window? Can I just look at the sun on an Instagram post? It's like, no, you actually have to go outside. Okay. It's like a free resource, but just do it. It's pleasant. Um, bring your kids with you or whatever. Uh, getting that sunlight in your eyes, then try and catch the sun before it sets in the evening, or even just get outside for a few seconds even for a conversation at work, step out in front of the building. And then in the evening, dim those screen lights. If you're out on stage and you got the blaring lights in your eyes and you're mm-hmm. dealing with that afterwards, there are some things that, that can help. And then for most people, you know, make sure you're not going to bed right after chugging a big glass of water. One of the most common w- problems with sleep is people wake up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. Totally I just, normal. I just saw this, by the yeah, way, that totally. you said sipping is different than Yeah. Going. So when a lot of people don't realize this, that of course the total amount of fluid that you ingest dictates whether or not you'll need to go to the bathroom. But when you slug down more than four ounces of liquid in one shot, there's a signal that's sent from the gut and the bladder to the brain that you need to excrete fluid. And so what's going to happen is you're going to be waking up to use the bathroom a few hours later, try and sip your last drink of the, of the night. That is fascinating. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea. It helps in about, I would say about 70, again, about 75% of people are like, Oh, I'm sleeping more through night or I'm only getting up once for men who have, you know, or who are older for prostatitis, you might want to talk to your doctor about taking low dose to Dalafil. This is not you know, I mean, it will increase blood flow uh, to the penis and all over, yeah. but it's also, that's nice. a, at that low dose, it's really, um, it's really about prostate health. Yeah. It's really about encourage, which is vital. Um, but dim the screens. And then there are some supplements that are excellent and very safe for sleep yeah. for most people. So um, 900 milligrams, myo inositol, 
great for sleep, especially if you wake up in the middle of the night, you need to fall Should back Should I try asleep. this? Yeah, I'll send you all this and you can give it a try. You can tell me if you like it. Magnesium three and eight, theanine, epigenin. If you go to hubermanlab.com, you can go to the um, menu, go to newsletter and just scroll down to the toolkit. It's free. You don't even have to sign up. So all is this zero cost. And I would say behavioral tools first. Yeah. Then if needed, do supplementation. I'm not a fan of melatonin. Except Why? Well, because it has, first of all, a lot of the melatonin supplements have far too much melatonin in them. Oh. And it's not a very well-regulated hormone supplement. And so sometimes you think you're taking three milligrams, you're taking 10. Sometimes you think they've And tested. that is bad. Why though? You know, then when I was in graduate school that for my master's, I looked at the effects of melatonin on the reproductive system. Mm -hmm. If you take a hand, so we're working in hamsters, but there's some evidence in humans too. Um, you know, long days and short nights are synonymous with breeding in most seasonally breeding animals and in humans to some extent. Okay. Now there's a lot of breeding right around Christmas. Yeah. Um, a lot of births in September in the early fall. Um, some people think it has to do with the alcohol consumption over Christmas. Mm -hmm. That's a one theory. Um, but melatonin can be suppressive to the, to testosterone and estrogen output. We used to take these hamsters that would have uh, testicles about the size of a large grape in the summer. Now think about what melatonin is. The longer the, the night, the longer the melatonin signal. So more melatonin. And in these animals, their testicles involute, they become like the size of a grain of rice. Yes, to offset, to suppress breeding during the, the winter months. Now humans yeah. aren't, aren't seasonally breed, uh, restricted yeah. breeders, but taking a lot of melatonin can suppress testicular function indirectly and can suppress ovarian function indirectly. It is an antioxidant. So people are like, oh, it's an antioxidant. There are some benefits to melatonin, but if you can avoid supplementing with melatonin, that'd be great, especially in kids. And here's why. In kids, melatonin is already what we call tonically high. It's high instead of oscillating yeah. across the 24 hour cycle, it's really high all the time. And guess what? One of its major roles is to suppress the onset of puberty. Really? So now adults popping melatonin like M&Ms, this is a problem. And this last year, there were a lot of um, studies published showing that melatonin supplementation, especially excessive melatonin supplementation, can be really deleterious for the whole hormone system and maybe even for brain function. So I am not a big fan of melatonin, maybe every once in a while for jet lag or something yeah. like that. But magnesium, threonate, theanine, and apigenin, myoinositol, far more mild, far more cost-effective and not dependency-forming. Yeah. So- you know, I mean, I think those are the places to start once you've got your light viewing behavior yeah. down for a few days, see how you're sleeping. Um, the travel thing is tricky. You live a highly unique lifestyle, Yeah. but I've done some work with, with military and with athletes who are, they live like this. Yeah. And so you're going to have to do, I mean, you're not going to start going out on stage with red light, with red glasses. <laughs> that'd be a cool you know? look. Um, what's uh, that? Yeah. I said, that'd be a cool look. I think when Rick Rubin went on Joe Rogan's podcast, yeah. he had them on. He can get away with yeah, any and look. Yeah, I'm, and I'm blessed to have him as a friend. And, you know, once the sun is down, yeah. he's red lights. He is? Or the glasses. That's kind of cool. And he, so he can sleep like a baby because he's, he's the creativity guy, right? I'm going to get you know? red lights at home. I'm, I'll do yeah, that. Yeah. They're great. The, the little part, party lights, the screw in lights. When um, I travel, I bring them with me. That's how geeky I am. You do? I do because oftentimes you're in some hotel room and it's like, Blast. So what do you bring? You bring like a lamp or no, something? No, I just have a, a couple of the bulbs, these red bulbs. And, then and you put them in? Box. Yeah, I just put them in. You are, that's yeah. taking it to yeah. another level. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's it's super inexpensive. That's true. Um, you know, I'm not gonna travel with a red light unit. There are some small red light units that um, companies like Cozy Light make, which are excellent. Again, not a podcast sponsored, but they're great. And Juve, I think is the other one. I could put one on the bus. That's a good idea. Oh yeah. But the issue, you know, and again, I'm not trying to undermine any businesses out there, but 
a lot of the things like getting morning sunlight or people say, well, what if there isn't enough light or it's not bright enough at work or in my home environment? Should I buy a daylight simulator? It's like, uh, sorry, daylight simulator companies. Those are like thousands of dollars. You can get a drawing pad, 930 lux yeah. drawing pad from Amazon yeah. for about a hundred bucks, put it on your desk. And now you're getting a lot of that during the day, which is what you want but better to get outside periodically. So I think a lot of these behavioral tools or even the things that require an artificial light, you can get them at lower cost mm -hmm. and get most, if not all of the effect. Now there's certain things like an ice bath yeah. or a cold water plunge, which is far better than a cold shower, but a cold shower is still pretty good. Yeah. So. Um, one thing I, this is changing the topic. I, I'm going to go back, but I learned on, I saw a clip of you talking that you're all tatted up and that you... <laughs> yeah, although the picture they used were not my tattoos. Oh, I didn't even see the no, pictures. No, okay, that's um, good. But I... I uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I started getting tattooed really young. How old? I think the first one I did, don't do this, kids, was India Ink and a Needle at when I was 13. Okay, so this is like the beginning of your off the fucking farm. Yeah, when like, I was a kid, yeah, there were these guys in my town called the Yahtzee crew, and they're a bunch of older skateboarder, like guys that had motorcycles and... Uh, one of them uh, wrote for High Times Magazine and they lived up on top of the Varsity Theater in Palatine. They were cool. My sister thought one of the guys was really good looking and I was like, oh, I guess like, and they were tough and they had like their full sleeves and shaved heads. Super nice guys. Yeah. Super nice guys, right? Um, and what was your and, music in this era? This so I grew up, I know- Hardcore punk rock guy? Yeah, I'm not like hardcore. Actually, Jocko's really into like agnostic front, hardcore. I like that music. Um, I grew up the East Bay punk scene for me. So- Rancid, Operation Ivy. Wasn't really a peace punk guy like Green Day. Like it yeah. wasn't really my thing, but Rancid, look, and you know, I'm a huge, huge Tim Armstrong fan. Okay. Huge Tim Armstrong fan. All the stuff he's written, all that Rancid albums. Um, Operation Ivy, Stiff Little Fingers, Bouncing Souls from the East Coast. I love all that stuff so, so much. It's kind of hard to, to like state it in yeah. words. Um, but I also love Bob Dylan. I listen to a lot of Glenn Gould classical music. I, Glenn Gould playing Bach is like the absolute best music to listen to while you work. That's cool. Um, but I was heavy into the punk rock scene, going to shows, still have a lot of friends in that world. And um, no, I love there's like a uh, Mexican punk rock band or sp partially Spanish speaking um, punk rock band called Left Alone from Wilmington. There's some amazing bands out there. So if um, Andrew Huberman is going out to a show, are, are the tats out? Like are there t is yeah, there a t-shirt so, on? I mean, I, I, um, I can hide pretty well in public in short sleeves. So yeah. I'm basically tattooed from wrist to neck. Yeah. Uh, one side ribs, chest, nothing on my stomach, back's completely covered, nothing on my legs. So um, this is, here's what, uh, what ties, what I brought this up is, um, I believe that the reason that you're, you cover up on podcasts and I'm assuming when you lecture at school. Oh, absolutely. Is so that the information that you're sharing is the focus Correct. and that none of this is distraction. This is the same principle. Not everybody adheres to this. But in comedy, mm -hmm. there is this general thought um, from people who know what the fuck they're talking about, I should point out, that <laughs> if you want the focus to be on your comedy, right. you should cover those things up. If you're a male with an overly muscular physique, you should actually try to cover it up, like not flaunt it. If you're a woman with like an incredible figure, same idea. Why? Because if you are, if you're showing the tats, the muscles, or this incredible uh, female body, can you do it? Yeah, do whatever you want. If you want to do it, do it. Nobody knows who you are. But if, uh, if you want to, you know, what do I know? I'm only <laughs> so. But if you want people to focus on your comedy, the idea is that don't don't like this. This is how people can can actually not be distracted if you're tatted up. And those are out. Guess what? People in the audience are looking at your tattoos. If That's you're right. jacked, 
they're looking at your muscles. And if you're super hot and a ch- like, they're just going to be like, look at her, like look yep. at her body. Yep. If you cover those things up, if you do that, and all of a sudden it becomes about what you're saying, which Absolutely. is what you want it to be. You, know? yeah, you, you nailed it. And uh, so for once I can be succinct, you know, cause you, <laughs> cause you nailed it. Um, you know, even though early on we had our, our challenges, my dad and I are on really great terms now. And I learned a lot from him when I was a kid. And one of the things in being Argentine was he always said, you know, it, uh, in a wedding in Argentina, the men keep their jacket on all night. In the U.S., they seem to like start undressing the moment they get there. You uh-huh. know? Like he was a he was a serious guy, and I, yeah. I once asked him, you know, like what what's the deal with this whole jacket thing? We had the conversation recently too, because he, as he pointed out, your friend Lex Friedman wears a jacket and tie, whereas you dress like kind of you know you should be like more like Lex. That's you wear what, you wear a button down. Well, he or... thought that Lex it was very formal, and I thought he appreciated that. Now, the yeah. one thing about formal dress is that people know that you take them seriously. That's true. It's not about being taken seriously. It states to your audience, I take you seriously enough to take the focus off me and make this really about you. Mm -hmm. That's one part. And I also think, as you stated better than I could, it forces attention to the information, whether or not it's comedy or it's, you know, the information that's being put forth. Now, I'm not trying to hide who I am. I I believe in authenticity. I also don't believe in oversharing. The tattoos are also, I like them. You know, I have have nightmares that I'll wake up and they're all gone and I'll have have them all done again. Right, exactly. I got pictures of my dog. I got some things, some, you know, stuff related to people who died, birds, skulls, you know, stuff related to relationships, you know, like good and bad, you know, all this kind of that stuff. That guy whose fucking know. neck you broke on a hike somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, fucking no, no, no. obituary you know, from Santa yeah, Cruz. Exactly. Or whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, tattoos are largely an expression of how we feel on the inside. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, I've never been a piercing guy or wanted to put anything on my neck or face or anything like that. So for me, it's really an attempt to just teach and be the most effective teacher that I can. I think it makes sense. I'm certainly not trying to hide it. However, when I was coming up in science, I would go to meetings, especially on the East coast where it's humid in the summer and like, you know, 90 degrees out yeah. and everyone's like playing, you know, Frisbee or whatever they do at those meetings or having a cocktail or something. And I'm like sweating buckets. And people are like, why are you wearing long sleeves? I, I think it's changing now, but still to this day, you know, if you're a surgeon or you're a physician, you know, you have to cover those things up. Even sure. cafeteria workers. When I was younger, when we were young, how old are you? I'm 43. Oh, I have to go back to the 23 me. That's right. So 43, 47 for me. Fuck, you know, there's I'm younger a, than you. I look like eight years older than no, you. No, you don't. Jesus no, you Christ. No, you don't. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, we're going to have to, the lineage thing is going to be so God much fun. God damn it. The, um, I got to start sleeping more. Go you ahead. Know, you know, someone at Starbucks had to, uh, who had, say, an eyebrow ring, used to have to cover it up yeah, with, with a right. Band-Aid and stuff. And I think it's it's highly generational. And listen, I always tell the students and postdocs in my lab, be you, yeah. right? But understand that people are are forming an impression. And- you know, I'll, I'll never forget once going to a practice job talk of somebody in my postdoc lab and um, she was wearing a half shirt and a belly button ring. And I remember at that time, it was w- fair game for the person in charge of the lab to say, I really think you should cover up, you know, you're like, yeah. I can't, pay, he said to her, I can't, you know, I can't pay attention to anything that you're, you're yeah, saying, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then it became this big debate. Like, is that okay? Is it not okay? Look, do as you do as you wish, but know what you're doing. And I think then you can make the decision. And the idea that everyone should accept you the same just because you accept you the same, that's, a, that's it's simply naive. Well, if your just, goal is professional development, it's a, it's if your a, goal is to make a statement about who you are and to live, quote unquote, true to yourself, that's fine. But 
wanting to be excellent at your craft yeah. is also being true to yourself. So I think that, you know, as a trade-off, wearing long sleeves is like a minimal trade-off for me. I like the, I wear one type of black shirt. I own a bunch of them. Yeah. And I did that because I think it was like Mickey Rourke in nine and a half weeks, she goes into his closet. She's kind of snooping around in his yeah. closet during the day as, you know, sometimes people do when they're in a new relationship. Sure. And he has like 26 of the same suit or yeah. black shirt. I thought, man, that's cool. Yeah, it's cool. And so I, just, I yeah. started, I was like, someday, <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Well, you did it. I mean, and I have to say, I side with your father on this. Lex is, is very professional. He dresses Lex really well. Lex is extremely professional. It is. It, I do say this, any man, this is, goes for any guy. If you want to see the way people respond to you differently, you put on a suit and tie. It's a completely different experience. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you walk into a, a store like that, a bank, like any, everyone is just like, oh, you're a serious person. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you ever tried to, you know, again, I'm, I'm tattooed from, from wrist to neck. You know, yeah. if I, if I'm trying to get boosted up to first class and travel, you go up to the, the counter. Uh -huh. It's a completely different experience. Yeah. And again, people are now more accepting of it growing up with only, you know, few subcultures had tattoos. Now it's more common. Yeah. Again, I, I like them. I mean, I also see a lot of bad tattoos out there. It's Lots. also what you've got. And also you have to be careful about the statement you're making. Sure. Right. I mean, I'm not going to reveal what my tattoos are. Oh but, man, this know. is such a cool mystery. Will you <laughs> uh, show me one day? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think if we teach a class together, it should be, would that be a fun thing? Oh my goodness. The students would go wild. They would oh, have so man. much fun. They would like it. Again, that's another place where Stanford's been really helpful. We have a human biology major at Stanford. And for some of the human biology courses this year, they have me come in and do podcast related content. So a lot of the podcasts are a lot like a lecture I'd give at Stanford. Man, I would, that'll be a lifelong goal of mine. Uh, Should we like, do it? Do you do the college? Comedians don't do tours at your level, right? Uh, college tours. They do tours, but not, they don't do college campus tours. We right? don't do, I mean, I did a few colleges yeah. on this on this tour. In okay. other words, um, one of the things I like to request when I do colleges is that they leave the show uh, at least partially open to the public so that, oh, it's, nice. so that it's not all dumb fucking So some people kids. are sober. Uh, well, no, just because like academia is this really weird, weird world to perform to um, as a comedian because... And, and like, I'm not saying your school, but a lot of the schools are like these weird insulated bubbles where it's like, everything's like, oh, it's protect. Oh, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't an inclusive enough statement. It's like, yeah, dude, I live in the real world. So like my comedy is not, I'm not performing, uh, in whatever they told you that like, it like you're, the, uh, this is off limits and that like, that's what academia feels like to people that are outside of it a lot of times. And I, I think like, it's not just academia. Every big institution right now is confronted with a major challenge, Yeah, which so. is how to comfort and not trigger the people that work there, but also acknowledge what's going on in the world. Right. And this is a challenge. I mean, what's happening now with Twitter is really fascinating. You know, the, the unleashing of all these Twitter files or whatever what, it is. What are we learning from the unleash? Like, like what was, I need to follow this. I actually, uh, the other day I had the, the joy of a conversation with Barry Weiss, you know, who's yes. You know, yes. Let go fired. I don't know. It's something at the New York times, but now she's independent and doing I, I'm a big fan of hers and the work she's done. But there's some real um, dirt being. Oh yeah. Shared. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not super uh, informed about all this, but I'm informed enough to know that first of all, Twitter and Instagram, these are private companies. Yes. Right? They, some of them are publicly held, but you know, you can't go to a mall with no shirt on and say, I just want, you know, be here with my shirt off because yeah. I'm, you know, it's a mall. Everyone can come here. It's a, yeah. it's privately owned yeah. so they can have rules. Yeah. Right. So a lot of people don't realize that, but I think a lot of these public spaces um, have been, uh, kind of leaning towards it's the algorithm mm -hmm. when in fact there were some conscious choices to suppress certain kinds of information and amplify other kinds of information. That said, you know, on Instagram, if you, you can't put hashtag sex, 
you try and put that in, you won't find it. Or if you do that in your post, it's going to get down regulated. Right, right. The, it certainly. Yeah. And you can kind of understand why, right? I mean, otherwise the entire thing would be filled with all sorts of pornography and pseudo-pornography. Yeah. And, you know, so there's a, there's an etiquette of each of these places. I think what's surprising and what people are kind of like, you know, going eyes wide about is the etiquette oftentimes leans in one direction or another in a way that has never been explicitly stated. Which is, is this and so, more to like yeah, left more leaning? left or more yeah. right? Yeah. You know, it typically more, more, it seems like with the Twitter thing, it's more left, although yeah. I haven't gone deep into this yeah. or in looking back at the last few years, what's getting, you know, and so I think like anything, I think full disclosure is the best, the best idea. I mean, you talk about the liver King thing earlier, and again, it's gotten all already too much uh, press and attention, but it really speaks to, you know, when people are up front, people can usually handle it, right? When people actively lie and use that as part of their marketing, you know, then people get upset. Sure. Some people get upset when, you know, a social media platform says, doesn't reveal what its rules are. And then people are dropping into the, the um, lava of, of, of quote unquote cancellation, the platform being deplatformed, et cetera. And you don't know what the rules actively are. I think that actually, in my mind, that actually promotes people's um, desire to kind of probe the system for sure. Cause how else will, we find out. So I think if the rules are stated, then people can decide if they're going to follow well, also, the rules or not follow or start a new company. But then they'll also um, apply those, the rules, like not across the board the same way. Right. There's, there seems to be like this kind of, well, this is a rule, but you're like, well, why did you can like, you can show them clear cut cases, yeah. but you haven't applied that rule here. And it's like, and then there's no one to really has to answer for that. Cause like you said, like some of that falls back into, well, we don't have to answer questions from anybody. It's, it's all just, cloaked. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, a, it's a very strange. Well, comedy's undergone this massive transition. It seems like you guys all release your own shows in your own podcast. It's, and it, it's, I mean, frankly, it's awesome. Well, it's awesome yeah. because yeah, you, um, you, we used to just have to get on our knees to the tastemakers who was just like some fucking guy who doesn't like, doesn't write or perform. Like he just all, you know, this is the person in charge. And you're like, may I, may I per perform? May I put this out? And that whole thing is gone. Like everybody just puts out what they want to put out. And the response is what it is. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a much more, I mean, fair system for people that are trying to do comedy for sure. And it, it seems like it's most, if not all comedians, is that right? Uh, so it's just the ones that I follow. Like, wh what's like, that? That are doing their, that are gone independent, essentially. I mean, it's so appealing. I mean, yeah, a, a lot, a lot have. I mean, you know, I still, I have a deal with Netflix, so I have specials there, but I consider myself very fortunate to have those. Mm -hmm. But what I'm, I mean, for the, for the actual, the world, the, 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 you know, comedy as a whole, it's fantastic that the, that you have these options that you don't have to rely on just one place. And you know, people have done their specials there. Obviously it's, it's a huge platform, HBO max, people do that on Showtime on Amazon and they're, and they're all fantastic. Look, they're huge platforms, but there's something really cool about a comedian going, I have my special and I'm just uploading it. I mean, it, it, it is kind of the most punk rock yeah. version of it. And they just yep. go like, Check it out. It's yeah. here. You know, you don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to pay. You can just listen. The, the skateboarding punk rock thing lives, lives large in me. That is the DIY. That's spirit. great. You know, the, our photographer for the podcast, a guy named Mike Blayback, we got him from, he was working for DC, our video team we took from DC shoes. And um, the spirit of it, you know, has always been about that. We're going to do our own thing, filming in our, my closet at that time. Now we have a proper studio, but I, I think it's, I think it's great. I think the creative spirit, like, 
of doing things on your own. And that was the reason I defaulted to skateboarding, by the way, because you, parents didn't have to go. When I went to soccer, parents didn't go. With my parents didn't go, I felt like kind of like a loser. Yeah. You know, so it was skateboarding is, you know, and the, the sports drink was like a Slurpee. Yeah. You know, you didn't need a u- uniform. Yeah. You know, you could you could usually buy gear from other people if you needed to get the shoes or whatever, you know, hand me downs. And do you still ride a skateboard? No, but you know, now because I've been out there talking a little bit about the fact that like skateboard and know the skateboarding community, I have friends in that community. Um, I'm getting some pressure to like put up some footage. So I might put up some footage. Oh um, shit. Adult footage. I can still hit a frontside grind on vert, like not a lot of vert. Do you surf? uh, No, no. That's the one thing in Santa Barbara. I didn't. And you know, actually my girlfriend at that time lived in the summer house of uh, what the person who's now Jack Johnson's wife, we went to school with Jack and he was a professional surfer, you know, the Jack Johnson guitar player. And I remember he played in a band called soil in college. It was like nothing band. I mean, they were, they were kind of fun party band. And then he became this huge musician and everyone was learning how to surf from Jack from Jack. Johnson? Yeah. Like in that, in our kind of crew of friends really in college, but somehow I just never took to it. It felt like, you know, the whole thing with surfing is weird. I, I lived with some surfers for a while. First of all, it must be amazing because these were the laziest human beings on the planet. The laziest human beings on the planet. I'm not sure a single dish was cleaned the entire year, mm-hmm. but they would wake up at four in the morning to drive to Ventura to catch waves. Yeah. So it must be incredible. I mean, they would they would give up relationships for surfing. Sure. They didn't, you know. So um, Jack is still actually with Kim. They're still married and he's very devoted to her, great surfer. But most surfers that I knew were just like, addicted to the water. Yeah. That's all they can do. And I was trying to get myself, you know, aligned around school and other things. So it's a little bit about how like Joe has talked about golf or things like that. Like if you start something, you're going to go down that rabbit hole. So he stays away from yeah. rabbit holes. Yeah. I'm pretty busy already. So I've stayed away from I surfing. God, I wish he would get addicted to golf because it would just be hilarious. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Can't imagine. Yeah. He did the ball so far. He'd hit it, but he'd also be like, can't go, bro. I got to hit the fucking links today. Like he, would, <laughs> he would be so. He, I think he Jamie plays. I've seen on his Instagram. He does. I think he does. He, he but plays. Joe does yeah. have, of, yeah. of all the people that I know, I've known him a while. He does have this um, very obsessive gene where he, when he gets into, when he, if he discovers that he likes something, he has to find out whether he can master that or come as close to mastering it and he gets and he usually gets incredibly proficient at the well and discipline we've been exchanging a few texts around ice bath you know ice bath is great for resilience it does really increase dopamine and epinephrine for hours yes do you have a cold plunge i do oh yeah i was gonna say doing it before podcasting or things like that i found though i I, it might have been your podcast or somebody else somebody mentioned this thing which was actually a real another thing where i was like oh that's good to know this now is that not to do it in the four hours or so mm-hmm. after strength, because I would yep. do, you know, like squats yeah. and, be, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a different, if you lift weights, there's something about like leg day sweat yeah. and grind that you're like, holy shit. That's why shit. Monday for me is always leg day. And, and, yeah. and, and it's like, you just, it just rocks your system in a yep. different way. I feel like. Well, they're big muscles. They're huge muscles. Yeah. yeah. It's the biggest muscles. And, and I would, and nothing would feel like as good as like that lift being done and you jump in there, yeah, but, but it's it like, prevents hypertrophy. Yeah. And strength so gains. it's, but it's, so good it's to know. pretty clear to do. And there's a lab at Stanford run by Craig Heller, my colleague in biology is really expert in this. So, um, you know, uh, hat tip to Craig, the athletes at Stanford go into the cold bath before they go out for their run mm. before they do their weight training. And, and Joe has written to me that he's now starting to get in for three minutes in the morning. First thing, I think he talked about this recently on his episode with Derek from more plates, more dates get into the ice bath or the cold plunge first thing in the morning or cold shower for that matter for three minutes. 
and then start your workout and day. And that makes sense because you get this massive long lasting increase in dopamine, epinephrine and norepinephrine. And those are from human studies. And the increases are huge and long lasting. And so, and his is fucking so cold. Yeah. Dude. I think his is down in the thirties or yeah, something. It's like, it's like 36 or 30. I'm like, what? crazy down here in Texas. What? Yeah. yeah. The cold in the morning is great. What, what's the, what do you have yours at? Mine's probably low forties, yeah. mid forties. Okay. But I do the sauna cold, sauna cold thing. But yeah. after that text conversation with Joe, I'm like, you know, I'm going to start doing it. So I was doing two minutes in the morning. Now I'm going to, I'm going to try and get in the cold plunge every morning for a minute to three minutes. Do you do a, Just, a special breathing? Tech? Cause I've shared that. Like, I didn't know when I first got it, I got, you know, it's set up, I get in. And I'm like, holy shit. You know, I'm just trying to like, that's deal a with normal it. response. Right. That's adrenaline. And uh, yeah. And you're, I, your forebrain shut down. You can't really think you're just trying to anchor your thoughts. And you're just like, yep. You know, so I get through it. I, I forget. I do a few minutes and then I have the temperature lowered a little bit, like to like 47. That's, 40, that's I got chilly. it. I got it. It comes at 50. Right. Yeah. So I start lowering it. And then I just happen to stumble on this Wim Hof um, oh, yeah. breathing video that is, uh, it has like 50 million views or something, right? So I'm like, oh, this is like, obviously people like this thing. So I watch it and what happens is he's, it's his voice, voice guided, and it has graphics. So as he's talking, you see the graphic moving and you see the, the, the number. So it's like in and out, you're seeing like four, five, six. Well, your brain, as you're doing this, can't help but go like, these are seconds, right? And then there's a break and it's like, hold your breath for this break. And then it begins again. So I'm doing this and I'm in the, and then after I, I don't know, a couple cycles of it, I get out. I did five and a half minutes. Right. Because his, the, the breathing thing isn't actually seconds. These are breaths. Right. So by watching his video and doing it, I'm able to do a longer duration yeah. without even being conscious of it. Yeah. You bring up a number of really important points that, that reveal a lot about how the brain works, which is segmenting of time. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. It's one of my favorite topics. Um, and just very briefly, when dopamine and epinephrine are adrenaline and epinephrine, same thing. When dopamine and epinephrine are elevated in our system, we go into kind of um, think fast frame rate. Slow motion is taking more frames per second. Right. right? So it seems as if time goes slower, right. but more happens. Imagine an amazing day. So much happens, right? You look back on it, it felt like it all went by really, really fast. Right. But a lot happened. It's also true if take certain drugs, it's like a lot right. happened, but went by. Okay, think about waiting in the doctor's office for 45 minutes. It's like the slowest thing in the world. Right. And that's because you're cutting your frames as maybe instead of like an iPhone, I think is 30 frames per second. It's or 60 maybe from typical video, 60. Um, you're cutting it like 10 frames per second. Like, bleh, you know, okay. When you get into the ice bath, time is being micro sliced. So you want to get the hell out. Right. And people always say, how cold should I make it? I say, you should be in it in cold that is uncomfortable, but safe. Right. How safe that you could stay in without dying, right? Yeah. If you get into 20 degree water yeah. from a warm bath, you could die of a heart attack, but 60, 50, 45, you know, yeah, probably going to be okay. So you're micro slicing time. Now, when you start paying attention to time units and you're watching go tick, 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 that's excruciating. So this breathing technique, what it does is breathing actually changes how we're binning time. So like you said, you, and again, more succinctly than I ever could, because I'm an academic and you're a comedian, <laughs> which is you're now using breaths as units instead of second hands as units. Yes. Now, I, so I highly recommend doing that. I don't recommend people hyperventilate before getting into water because you can pass out. Okay. So that's not good. I don't want to do but that. But there's another way to do this. Um, my girlfriend, what she does is she picks a song 
she has great taste in music, but the song, the music she listens to when she gets into the cold bath is just, is horrible. I'm sorry. She's, it's just, it's so bad. It's so bad. So she, so she blasts that. Yeah. She blasts that. And she stays in for the duration of one or two of those songs. Wait, does she hate it? I don't know. Is she doing it? Like, she's she like, fuck this song or no, she I think it? she, I, I don't know. I Wait, don't know. We can, let's trash the song. What no, is it? I don't know. It's just really rough. It's, okay. It's, I'm not going to say it's a reggaeton. The, it's, um, you know, so the, the so the, the don't tell me it's bad bunny. No, I don't even know. Okay. This stuff is so bad. I don't even know the names of it. Um, sorry. I had to do that. It, <laughs> um, <laughs> but listen, she's tough in the ice bath. She can, she can really draw, grind oh, yeah. it out. Oh yeah. She can grind it out. I take a different approach and it's one that I think people could benefit from trying because there's a real learning crossover here to the real world, Okay, which is, I, I think people should learn to pay attention to when adrenaline is in their system. A lot of people say, I feel stressed. I feel anxious, but they didn't catch when that hit. And so it kind of ramps up slowly and persists. One thing that you can do is, and this varies day to day, but I, what I'd like you to try if you are willing is to think about doing the ice bath for five, what I call walls. Imagine walls that you have to climb over. So you come over the ice bath. If you're pumped to get in it, that doesn't count as a wall. But most of the time I'm like, oh, that's one wall. I'm going to go over one wall. I'm going to get in. Then I'm going to get to my neck. I'm going to get my hands under. And I'm going to call that the second wall. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to wait until the impulse to get out hits. That's the third wall. And then I'm going to ride through that. And what you find, you're like, oh, that's weird. I was able to kind of ride, yeah, get, yeah. get over that. Then, the, then it goes fourth. And then after the fifth one, you're like, okay, I want to get out. I really want to get out try and cruise for another 10, 15 seconds. That's a lot more like the real world where the world hits you in adrenaline pulses. I like this. It's a lot. I missed a joke. Ugh, that was rough. Okay. I'm going to get over that wall. Yep. I'm going to, because when you start think, translating to just time or songs, I'm sorry. I know I'm feeling guilty about that dig, but anyway, you, the, it's pretty bad. Shit um, fucking song that you anyway, listen to. Yeah. Our neighbors are probably like, what? But anyway, it works. Um, Imagine if some guy had told her what a shit song that was, you would have cracked his fucking ribs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Well, granted, my music's pretty niche. Aside yeah. from the Glenn Gould and the Bob Dylan, it's pretty niche. And the, 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 yeah, that's the, also you have the classic, uh, what is it? Who does Bach? You said? Oh yeah. The Bach, the Glenn Gould, Glenn uh, does, all, all the block, all the Bach stuff that is amazing. Okay. Amazing. Rancid. Don't forget. Also. Rancid is amazing. All the albums. Love, love them. Love them. Don't Does she like your songs? I don't think she's so much into the punk rock thing. I'm a huge Joe Strummer fan. I mean, full disclosure, the black shirt. Yeah. Joe Strummer later in his career when he was with the Mescaleros. Mm -hmm. Sadly, he's dead 20 years ago, coming up soon. Um, wore a black shirt when he played Dripping in Sweat. This mm -hmm. is when he was with the Mescaleros when he played. He would, there, like, Joe was always in a black, black shirt. And I'm a huge Joe Strummer fan. Not some, I lose punk points for saying this. I'm not a huge Clash fan. Oh, Jesus. No, but I'm a huge Joe Strummer fan. Not a Clash fan. No, there's a whole story there. Like Joe was amazing. I mean, Joe would bring out hip hop artists as openers and punks would like scream like, what is this? He he, and people like Rick Rubin yeah. were really early to see that like these different genres of music that everyone thinks are so distinct are actually very similar, ah. right? And that's how, you know, I mean, Rick is genius, right? How he does what he does is anybody's guess. Um, but- Strummer really was like bring people together from different genres, hip hop, well, all this kind of thing. And Super in, and a, and it had a real world view. He hung out with comedians. He hung out with Jim Jarmusch. He was friends with um, scientists. He ran the New York Marathon with a cigarette in his mouth. I mean, there's a there's a memorial for him in um, in Alphabet City that I always go see. Nice. Like we need more people like him. I mean, I also think you know 
this is also like an early thank you for bringing me on here. I'm not, I'm not trying to close out, but maybe you want me to anyway. But, the, <laughs> but you know, um, you know, comedians have been very kind to me in terms of bringing on a scientist, right? Joe is, has friends from all these different walks of life. Yeah. You know, and I've found this with comedians like you and Shoals and, and Joe and other people. It's like Whitney, like really interested in a lot of different dimensions of life and different kinds of people. And I actually think the best podcasters and maybe the best comedians, but certainly the best podcasters are people that have a lot of different kinds of friends. Yeah. Because you're staying out of the hyper niche soda straw view of the world. A thousand percent. Right. You know, I think the fitness community is great. The food community, they're crazy. They're always like attacking one another, but it's so niche. Yes. You know, and at some point, if you really want to get a message out broadly, you want to educate, you want to make people laugh and, and educate them in the process, which I do think comedy does, then I think you need to be able to talk to lots of different kinds of people. And Lex does this exquisitely well. If you listen to the way that he asks questions, I mean, he asks really sophisticated, but very simple questions. Yeah. And, you know, as someone pointed out to me recently, he sounds a little bit like a 1970s construction worker, mm -hmm. but he's asking real questions. I mean, yeah. he sat down with Ray Dalio and said, what is money? And you're like, that's the best question in the world to ask Ray Dalio. Such a, it's yeah. simple, but it's like, it, it leaves it open to such, I mean, obviously a, a, probably a great answer that he gave, um, yeah. but that it might've been very simple too. I do think the best comedians have the most interests, have a mm -hmm. wide variety of exactly. interests. And I think it, def, I'm sure it, it lends itself obviously to good podcasting too, to not just be like, I only talk to people like this. Right. Like that's. Well, skateboarding is a good example. Like there's a great podcast for skateboarding called the nine club. And what's cool about it is they just talk as people, yeah. but you know, skateboarding is at least when I was coming up was very narrow. It was like jocks. We're not that now it's great. Cause you have all, also it's real. The demographic has totally changed. Some totally. of the girls and women that are in it. Unbelievable. Rip. Right. Yeah. I mean, they are so good. When, when I was growing up, there weren't very many. And yeah. the ones that were there, like people would make fun of, they kill it. I now. forgot the name. Sky the, Brown. Yeah. The little girl, she's growing up quick, but um, there are a bunch of them. And, and also the demographic, you have guys that are kind of from the hip hop genre. You have the kind of more jock fiends had the, the kind of angry, like, like Slayer phenotype. Yeah, yeah. You have all of that. And I love it because I think the more, you know, the word diversity gets thrown around a lot for different reasons, yeah. but the more true diversity that you have, I think the more that a field evolves. Yeah. I see it in comedy and I think it's awesome. I, I'd like to see more of that in science. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd love to see another science podcaster, you know? I'm sure there's yeah. there's gotta be one itching to, to do it too. There are a few out there. Most of them are still trying to, they're still so concerned about protecting their academic careers that they're not really out there throwing real punches. Yeah. And when I say throwing real punches, what I mean is not at anybody, but really telling people what they can do to better their lives. Yeah. You have to be willing to, to take a little bit of risk. Yeah. Um, whereas in, in comedy, I feel like it's all about taking risk. Right. I mean, risk reward, you know, yeah. like if you want a big payoff, you have to take a risk. You have to say, I mean, you know, the best bits I've ever, like that ever, that I ever developed on stage all started doing really poorly mm -hmm. because it was high risk. You got, there's no such thing as it being really fun to say something if you don't feel a little bit of panic before yeah, you say little, it. a little afraid. Yeah, yeah. At least, at least yeah. when you're starting it. I mean, yeah. you get it to a point where you know how to do it and then it works. But when you start, you got to feel like, like if you feel that feeling that's actually the the thing that makes you go, go do it because it might eat shit. And sometimes it does. And then you, you have to assess whether there's something still there or you're like, no, 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 abandon this. You know, can I ask just, uh, cause I'm really curious and I'm, I'm preparing a episode on creativity for this Wednesday. What, uh, what is your, your process? Um, 
in terms of like Stromer, for instance, used to talk about always keeping a notepad and paper with him mm -hmm. because he thought that ideas just kind of geyser to the surface. And if yeah. you don't capture them at that moment, it can get away from you. Uh, that definitely is true. You know? um, now he's a singer songwriter. Yeah. It's different, but he's Joe Strummer. Um, what is your process? Like, do you have dedicated time where you sit down, you tell the family, hey, eh, like, go away, I'm going to do this? Or do you take walks? Walking is a huge, a huge time for mm -hmm. creativity. I think walking and showers are mm -hmm. underrated yep. because your mind just can kind of go. Yeah, we know why uh, this is, but and I'll tell you why at okay. the end, but I'm really um, curious. Yeah. So like a lot of times I've, I've written a ton of things on walks before and I've kind of feel like I've developed some just standing in the shower, just mm -hmm. like, you know, that. So you need that time where it's just like, I don't know, it's almost like a, a form of um, meditation in a way, mm -hmm. you know, you just, you're, you forget where you are on the walk. That's a good sign. If you're mm -hmm. like, where the fuck am I right now? That's a good mm -hmm. sign. I think if you're trying to be creative, um, I totally agree with what he said about, there's this thing that's happened to me multiple times where you're like, ah, oh, that's like an idea, something, you know, mm -hmm. a joke, a premise, something. And you just go like, I'll definitely remember that. Like, I don't know why you tell yourself, I'll remember that. And then don't jot it down. Don't do anything. And then it's like later in the day, you're like, what was that thing? Exactly. And we're coming out of a dream or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Like, exactly. I'm going to remember this. You yeah. know? So, I mean, it's one of the big upsides I think to having smartphones over the years is that I, I, jot down things. I, I'll put them voice in dictation. Here. Both. I've yeah. done voice dictation. I've done. Oh, that's another thing I was going to tell you is uh, another thing that I did instinctively, maybe from all my years of being a performer is when I did my psychedelic trip, I turned on my voice notes and I, oh I dictated to them. Oh, you, oh, you, I you just, talk, you I, didn't listen. I no, I, I did stream of consciousness note. Like I, I was laying Okay, on my I thought back. you meant you were listening to all your stuff from before. I'm like, that no, would be, no, no, that'd be crazy. No, that's crazy. <laughs> that'd be crazy. I did I I I put it on my chest and just talked. Oh, great. And then I would stop and I and I wasn't like trying to. I just yeah. and I wanted to be able to kind of relive the and mm -hmm. I did. And it, it was a, a very kind of cool experience to Fantastic. to re-listen to myself, just whatever was going on in my mind at the time. Um but so anyways, I also have a board in my office, so I'll, I'll sometimes write notes yeah, on there. Yeah, the whiteboard is amazing. I do that. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing like, I mean, for, for me and the way I do it, it's like all those little things help, the notes, and then I just have to take, I have to take kernels of ideas on stage. I prefer to go to like uh, smaller rooms mm -hmm. where it's just, you know, it's not like what do you guys call it? Show. Working out? Do yeah, working that? out. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love that. I think I heard Joe say that it's like comedians or maybe it was Chris Robertson, like just working out. Just like, working out, yeah. Do you do Q&A with the audience to try and keep yourself spontaneous? Um, no, I've done shows that are themed that way that are okay. very fun. Okay. Um, but I will, I've done shows where I go like, all right, I, I have like a few things written down and it just kind of becomes that. Where What happens is it's not like here, it's time for you to yell shit out, but I'll just start being like, what's up with you, man? And then you start a conversation and then bits kind of, you mm -hmm. know, and you, the important thing is to record those sets. Yeah. So it's, uh, there's a, there's a show, um, called stand up on the spot. Okay. Uh, that, uh, I think Jeremiah Watkins started that in LA. That was really fun because it was a themed show. And then somebody just goes like, you know, uh, fucking, you know, like one night stands or whatever. They like, they yell at a theme. Oh, that's good. And then you go, what happens is, they say that and you go, all right, well, when I was, uh, and you start telling that story and then 
it might lead you to just telling that story, but it might lead you to saying something completely unrelated. And those are, that's really how, how, what the best part about how comedy develops is that if I bring up a topic and you try to add to my topic, right? Like just, I said one night stand. So let's say I said that and you, you, t- you say Never something. Never had one. <laughs> you say something related to it. Yeah. And you go like, okay, okay. But then what happens is you also, in telling your story, you're like, well, I was in Phoenix. And all of a sudden my brain goes, Phoenix. And Sand. then And then it just, it just yeah. goes into a whole yeah. thing that has nothing to do with this yeah. topic. But all of a sudden I go like, well, you know, the thing that happened when I was in Phoenix is that I got into this, uh, I got into a fight. And all of a sudden, like my mind is actually going to this other place and that bit starts to develop. All of a sudden you're like, I thought we were talking about when I, it's like, no, 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 because this is a much better story. Do you ever so, pop back, you know, this whole idea, like you're halfway through the show and then you remind them of something that they said earlier that like, it's twice as funny because oh, yeah. it was like, he's still, you know, that's I, the- Like a callback. Yeah, we know- uh, so here's, here's what, first of all, thank you. Cause I'm, I'm obsessed with this. And yeah. actually Rick Ruben has a book on creativity coming out fairly soon. I think in January, like the creative act. And I always hitting him for questions. He's like, read the book. So I've been reading the book <laughs> it's totally worn out already. I love that thing. And I'm obsessed with this because nobody really understands the creative process at the level of science, but we have a few kernels of truth that are absolutely clear. There's been a beautiful study, brain imaging study where they watch people where they're scanning the brains of people while they watch basketball, mm-hmm. favorite team playing. And just like with the seconds and versus the breathing, et cetera, and the cold bath, the dopamine system kind of clicks on and gets ready. So dopamine is not about reward. It's about anticipation of reward. You get dopamine released when you think you're going to get the thing, when you think you're going to have sex, when you think you're going to eat the ice That's cream, when you get dopamine. dopamine do, 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 do. And then if you get the thing, there's a little bit further increase. And then if it drops. Do, and then it drops. But if you don't get the thing, you got a big drop below baseline. If you are not expecting something or you're expecting something pretty good and something really good happens, huge dopamine increase. Now drugs that increase dopamine like cocaine and amphetamine completely mess with this system. This is like naturally occurring dopamine release. Okay. There seems to be two kinds of um, humor. I'll get back to the basketball thing in a moment. But there seem to be two kinds of humor, at least when I watch comedy, I'm kind of watching for it. I'm trying not to play neuroscientist and just enjoy it. But one is where there's this trail that's going along and all of a sudden something completely surprising hits you. It's either, it's rarely through pun, but it's through, it's like some collision where I never associated that with that. Yeah. But like, ah, that's hilarious. And then the other is, I actually saw Joe do this at the, at, at the Vulcan Club or what I think it's called um, a few uh, months back, which is there's a story that the comedian is laying out like a trail of breadcrumbs and you're like no they're not going there yeah, oh no yeah, they're yeah. not going there right they won't go there and the surprise is that they go exactly where you think they might go right so and sometimes it's a confirmation and then sometimes the surprise is that you pull from something earlier mm-hmm. and all of that is funny because it's all hitting the dopamine system. yes yes so it's all anticipation related it seems like yes it's anticipation and so it's sort of like surprises hit dopamine system and so when they watch people or image the brains of people watching basketball every time their team gets the ball and is heading down court the time perception kind of switches over. Like, here we go. Here's the opportunity for another dopamine hit. Yeah. Well, people aren't thinking this, but that's what they're hoping. Now you, there you could be, you know, like a, a defensive block or something like that, a little dopamine hit, but it's your team scoring is the big anticipation when there's a, a what it's basically reverses the direction of play. Yeah. In terms of creativity, what we know is that there are networks in the brain, many networks that are very, very precisely wired. The ability to move my hand in a very precise way develops 
you know, a baby can't, you're watching a baby eat when it's young, it's like yeah. food everywhere. And over time they get better. Most people anyway, the, the circuits are v- very one-to-one, no slop in the circuitry. Uh, likewise, if you already know how to do something like write or say your name, the circuits are like, <laughs> they're nailed down, but the brain always maintains some random wiring. And it appears that when we are doing things like walking or showering, or when we're doing anything that doesn't require our conscious attention in order to perform it, the random firing occurs and it's setting up the opportunity for new rule sets for the frontal cortex, which is where all our rule sets sets exist to come up with new ideas. It's almost like, um, imagine a painter, they've got their paints on the palette and they're painting. And then every once in a while, just by stopping and pausing, all of a sudden 20 new hues of red show up. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you would use all of them, but then you turn around and you go, but if, you might take one and kind of elaborate and create something new with it. What's really interesting is that if we don't allow ourselves any time for the brain to be in this kind of random thought generation pattern, sleep and dreaming or emerging from sleep and dreaming is one such time. Maybe low dose cannabis is another time, which is why, or, or some people have a drink or two, which probably I'm not suggesting, but that is one way to kind of reduce our kind of constriction over what, what, what has to happen next. (laughs) Um, or you're walking or showering, these random networks are, are they're, they're tossing up ideas, some of which probably suck and are terrible. But every once in a while, if you're in a position to catch it, it's like, oh, there it is. But if you're constantly on your phone or you're constantly trying to do linear type execution of things or you're, you're focusing on, um, on something, you know, it's like dr- the, dis- the difference between driving home when you know which way to go, you can think of things while you drive. Totally. Versus when you have to follow a map or you're, you're looking at Google maps or you have to look at road signs and look for landmarks, completely different. Your brain is literally free to capture creative opportunities when you're in these kind of random thought um, states. So your creative process, uh, your description of the creative process uh, captures that to a T. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and I, I do realize that it's happening when my brain isn't occupied. Like, a, like walking that neighborhood is like a thoughtless activity. Right. I don't have to but actually, then you need the reps. Like the, yes. the, like the, this is what I think a lot of people starting off in a field, they're like, oh, you just be creative by not, you know, by taking a lot of showers. But yeah, I'm guessing that the actual writing process and figuring out the structure of a show and Get, stuff. I mean, getting on stage is actually the actual rep. Because writing okay. is just a as a part of performing as a stand up. People do stand up a lot of times. I meet you know I meet people. They go, I have forty five minutes. I've never. Done. I go, how do you have forty five minutes? They're like I have these journals full of it. I was like, you don't have forty five minutes. You don't even you don't have ten minutes. You've never been on stage, right? So like time you, flies. Yeah, to get on stage and actually believe me, do forty five minutes is it's if you're doing forty five minutes of stand up, like it's it's not something you're. It's a long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, you know, a headlining set is considered you know, an hour, right? So it's like 45 is like the introductory headlining set. Somebody's never been on stage saying they've have that. You're like, okay. Do you channel anything before you go on? Like, do you try and go, okay, like, am I pissed off today? Am I hot and weary? Am I tired? I've done a few live shows again, very different sort of thing, but I find that I have to check myself for any kind of, I call them energetic blocks. Like if I'm pissed or I'm sad or I'm tired or, or even if I'm super happy, mm-hmm. I might not hit some of the darker themes. It, right. All that is uh, translates to stand up too. I think, I mean, look, I've done thousands of shows. So I've gone on stage in every mood I've gone and I've gone on stage where I realized I was really upset. I was really tired. I was uh, anxious. Uh, yeah. Nervous, elated, 
excited. I've gone on every, and I find that like the best way to go on stage for me is neutral and kind of uh, free, loose, silly. I mm-hmm. think silly is a, is a word mm-hmm. that I don't know why I always am drawn towards, but I feel like I'm the best version of myself when I'm in a silly, playful mood. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm like goofing around with you backstage, and you know I'm I'm not taking myself too seriously, not taking the environment too seriously. That's a, that mood going on to stage for me is for me is the best. You know, there's some people that like to channel like a kind of an angry ranty thing and stuff. And like, I can go on stage like that. I've gone on stage like that. I don't think it's the best version of me as a comedian. So I like to get into a more playful headspace. Oh, well, I did, you know, I've been researching play for a while now. I mean, play is amazing because low stakes, I mean, going on stage for you is very high stakes, but low stakes activities done you know the the data show that if you play a game like literally not you can be competitive but in general if it's just low stakes like your job doesn't depend on it your yeah. reputation doesn't depend on it yeah your feelings of self-worth don't depend on it like the opposite of the michael jordan phenotype yeah you know you play for one hour a week one hour like just like play badminton with the kids like you know play it opposite handed or do just do something for fun just yeah. pure fun that kind of focused activity we know starts to tap into these creative networks. Really? Yeah, it doesn't happen during the play, but it seems to set a seed on some of these kind of um, what would otherwise be random thought generation patterns. And then people are able to just kind of capture. Later, there's this notion of capture, you know, that all That's of a sudden you're just got, yeah. There's something about play. I mean, I think it's hardwired into us. All animals play. As yeah. adults, we start to play less and less, or we tend to play hard, or we tend to like, you know, we tend to, you know, you play tennis and you want to win. Like, so it's totally. non-competitive, low stakes. It totally changes you know, when it totally it's, changes. You imagine, by the way, if we taught a class. Hey, we're going to have to cut that. <laughs> we are going to have to cut that. Okay, I'm we'll sorry. Cut, I'll cut, I'll sorry. Cut. We're going to have to cut okay, that. We'll cut it. We'll cut it. We're going to cut, cut that. We'll cut that. We'll cut. Andrew Huber was saying, please cut that. <laughs> we'll I didn't cut say it. I didn't laugh. Cut it. I'll cut please it. cut it. Seguri, you're going to get me fired. Okay, I'll cut it. We'll cut it. We'll cut it. We'll cut it. But also put... Tom said a joke that was cut. Okay. You get, okay. So I'm going to just say, Tom just said a joke that I do not approve of. Okay. <laughs> for many reasons. Okay. At le- for at least two okay. reasons. Okay. Oh. Sorry. I'm going to cut it. It's cut. It's cut. It's right. cut. Okay. Goodness gracious. <laughs> we were doing so well. We were. We were doing so well. I had to tell you something. We're related. That was so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing? Well, all of it was fun, but especially that part. Just seeing me, just seeing me get stressed. Yeah. 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 Folks, let me tell you what happened. Your cortisol levels. All right. So my adrenaline level spike. No, I want you to think about what happened right before that. (laughs) Okay. So um, I want to ask you uh, two quick science things because we got to get out of here. Okay. Number one. Because it's, it's become something that people talk about now, and I don't know anything about it. Testosterone for ladies. Mm-hmm. Is this something, because it feels like it's more in the- Starting to community. catch a little bit. I mean, earlier I mentioned if estrogen levels get too low in men, libido can suffer, skin joint health, cardiovascular health can suffer. So there's estrogen and testosterone, both men and women. Many people, both men and women, are surprised to learn that women actually have more testosterone than they do estrogen. That is a surprise. A healthy thing. woman has more testosterone than estrogen. So when you look at, on the, if you, when you adjust the scales, it's, these yeah. things are typically measured on in nanograms per deciliter. If you adjust the, normalize the scales, 
what you find is that they have more testosterone than estrogen. That right there tells you that testosterone is also doing something very important in women. There is a movement now toward prescribing very low dose testosterone, either through cream or through injectable, or um, there's some other forms too, for women for treatment of low libido, but also in order to encourage muscle protein synthesis, maybe even brain health and function. Um, certainly estrogen hormone therapy has been prominent for a long time. And the data on this really show that women who are concerned about menopause and postmenopausal effects should talk to their doctor about the possibility of taking estrogen prior to menopause or as early as possible because there are vastly different outcomes depending on whether or not women take estrogen during or after menopause or initiate it before menopause. Okay. So yeah, testosterone, it's starting low dose testosterone. Um, you know, the, all the usual caveats apply, such as like if dosages are too high, they can start getting, um, you know, some facial hair growth, um, mustache, chin hair, that kind of thing, deepening the voice, but that's going to occur at much higher dosages, okay. but it will relate to the sensitivity of their androgen receptors. And there's some genetic variation there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, second, I have to ask this. You're sitting where the great and well-known party animal, Bert Kreischer. Yeah, when I sat down, the seat was still warm. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it, it actually never cools off. Um, you've brought up that you've discussed this on your own podcast, and this is obviously a, a popular, which is alcohol consumption. Now, typically, you know, because you talked about a couple of days a week, someone having a couple of drinks. In a typical week, there's uh, about three days where he'll have, you know, six to eight drinks. And then, and really? then three days where we're talking about usually 12 to 18 drinks, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Is there any side effects with that? Anything happening? Well, there's a name for it. It's called alcohol use disorder. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a name alone doesn't tell the whole story. Bert, listen, we love you. I, I've never met you in person, but the world loves you. Like, don't, you yeah. don't need it. <laughs> um, uh, no, but I think, it, so... Alcohol, you know, short list, you know, pro-cancer, uh, neurodegenerative, it's a poison, right? It's yeah. a poison. It works to make people, to shift people's conscious states because it's a poison. Yeah. Now it's true. There's some genetic variation depending on how much alcohol dehydrogenase, the enzyme that metabolizes alcohol, how much people make, you know, indeed some people have a greater tolerance or can handle things. Um, certain cultures, they make so little of alcohol dehydrogenase, they have one drink or half a drink. It's like poison. They turn bright red and they feel sick. Like they don't feel good. Other cultures, you know, based on genetic variation, they can drink far more. Um, how early did Bert start drinking? How young? Um, I don't know. I mean, I know he was, uh, having you know he was partying some in high school in college he was turned all the way up so i'll i'll say to be safe probably like 17 18 you know. yeah it, there's a there are very good evidence that there is very good evidence excuse me that if a kid starts drinking early like 14 15 mm -hmm. the probability of them becoming a severe alcoholic is extremely high independent of the their genetics and independent of anything else. So how early people start drinking a lot. I don't know yeah. if he was drinking at that age. Okay. I really don't know. Let's hope not. I mean, really two drinks per week would be the cutoff. I'd, I'd love to see Bert go sober, completely sober uh -huh. and focus on other things. Not because I need to see that for my own, you know, feelings of yeah. self-worth and yeah. well-being and happiness, yeah. Yeah. but because I think, you know, obviously his neural circuits work incredibly well in yeah. the presence of alcohol. They probably work even better. And he does, this, he does the alcohol. thing that you, I don't even know if you knew this, 
But you mentioned like if some earlier in the podcast, you mentioned, oh, if somebody drinks like this, you know, you have to do certain things to offset. Exercise more. So he exercises actually a yeah. lot more than people yeah. would even would, on tour, even on tour yeah. when he's home, even on tour trainer with him on the road. I mean, he's running, he's lived, like he's active. He's a physically active guy. Yeah. And even the morning after the 10 drinks, Right. Active. Yeah. And people will throw out things like, oh, you know, my grandmother had like a gimlet of vodka or a half a pint of whiskey and she lived yeah. to be a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. There are outliers. Sure. But for most people who are drinking that much and carrying some extra weight, mm -hmm. they, you know, you're going to, they're going to die young. Now, how young? I don't know. I mean, if it, some people are more, have more vigor and they can yeah. go into their seventies and eighties, yeah. but it's generally not a pretty picture yeah. as you get out into your, you know, sixties, seventies, eighties, it's really not. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I didn't even attend the health classes in high school, let yeah. alone, am I going to try and stand here and be like, I'm the health professor. You know, yeah. I actually didn't set out to tell people that alcohol is bad or, or that cannabis can be good or bad. That's how I feel about it, depending on the person in the context or that nicotine can be good or bad, depending on how it's brought into the body in the context and the age of the person. I'm just trying to give people the knowledge so they can make decisions for themselves. I always say, you know, um, do, what you, do what you want, but know what you're doing. And I think it would be great if he would cut back. Also, he did sober October. So it's obvious that- He can do it. Did he fall off? No. Okay. So it's clear that he could do it. I think that people who drink a lot and are high performers, who then make an active decision for themselves to go sober, do an incredible, their work just flourishes. Yeah. Also, I will say this, I'm not in AA or NA, but the AA and NA community is amazing. Yeah. The AA community, like I know some uh, musicians who are regular in AA and like it's like a performance enhancing drug the way they have this community. They're, they're, yeah. they're, there's something about that filtering of experience through sure. those steps that really does seem to work. And I know AA has got some issues too, right? Um, you know, and they've been accused of a number of different things, but I think they've done far more good than bad. I and it's, so. yeah. So can you imagine Burt Kreischer in AA, first AA meeting? Right. Yeah. I would, I would claim to be an alcoholic just so I get a 10. Yeah. That'd, here be, that'd like. be a lot of fun. Right? Also, yeah. they would have to be like, Hey Bert, other people get to speak too in this meeting. <laughs> um, it's, this is not just your personal That's fucking right. meeting. Not four hour shares. Yeah. Um, is he long winded? I don't know. You're talking to somebody who's, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's an academic at heart. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, listen, I'm not so. going to tell him to quit. He's a grown man. He can make his own decisions, yeah. but he is loved by his family well, and I mean, friends. I, yeah, and, of course. You know, it'd be great to keep him around a long time and maybe a drink every once in a while. Sure. No big deal. But, you know, it seems like that's a lot of alcohol. That's okay. a lot of alcohol. Okay. Well, and this whole Mickey Mantle gene thing that people would joke yeah, about. Yeah. Like, yeah, but. But he, Mickey Mantle died at 56 or something. Yeah. Right? I mean, the, if you were to. I think what we should do is is image your brain and Bert's brain. Okay. And what you're going to see, but what you don't want to end up with is the Homer Simpson thing, right? With the little brain inside the big skull. Yeah. And that's essentially what alcohol does over time. Oh and then what happens is people end up on repeat of the same five or 10 stories and circuits. You ever been around somebody who's been a long time drinker? Yeah. They just kind of become the old story over and over again. Yeah. And your, <laughs> your guys' game, your guys' game is all about what's new. Yeah. I will say this. We're talking about tattoos. You know, I, I'll reveal one. Okay. I don't have a lot of script written on me. Some are like birth dates and like names of people that were important, but I have one and it says new stories. And I got that one because I never want to stay stuck in old stories. There is yeah. a place for working through old things, good and bad. Yeah. But even like good old stories, like how boring is that to just talk to the person who's always talking oh, about how yeah. great it was when, or the <laughs> thing that happened. I'm all about new stories and trying to evolve. <laughs> he doesn't so, even know what know? he's doing right now. <laughs> so so new stories. <laughs> I, 
Not nude, new stories. Yeah, no. Um, and we do not make jokes about nudity here. Listen, um, I think that's I think that's good advice. And I think uh I think I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated to see he's one of my dearest friends. Darum. Uh, what's that? Darum. Darum. Put a hundred K on the table or something. That's not enough money to him. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. He does well, too well. Well, he might feel about alcohol the way that I feel about podcasting, which is there's no amount of money that you could pay me to quit. And if he says that, there, there's actually a, a, kind of a test to this, right? Can I tell you this though? Yeah. He's, he's already said there's no amount of money. There's no amount of money. Really? <laughs> yeah. No he goes, I will never quit drinking. He loves alcohol. Yeah. He, here's the thing. This sound, for people hearing this, they might be thinking like, are you talking about like just some fucking booze back? No. What he loves is like that, the feeling of like, let's go have it. Hey, you just got to my house. Let's go. Want a cocktail? He, that, that there's hope. That this next, that this evening is going to be a, a, a good time. Okay. So among humans, about 8% mm-hmm. have some genetic variant that leads to increases in dopamine when they drink alcohol. It's got to be. I had that. an ex-girlfriend like this who, you know, um, could just drink and have the best time. And the next day is just fine. It's like the Don Draper phenomenon. This, Remember in that show, like sounds, he would just yes. like, tie one on. He's like staggering back in the office. The next thing you know, he's just all ching. Yep. You know, he's all dialed in. Now, of course, that's a TV show. Sure. But the character was representing something that about 8% of people have, which is that they drink alcohol and they don't just sober up quickly. It's exciting to them. The anticipation, it's not just the circumstances. The alcohol really does seem to trigger the dopamine circuit. Whereas yeah. for most people, it triggers other circuits primarily, mainly shutting down of the forebrain so that you're, you're kind of uh, uh, not as inhibited as would be the simplest yeah, way to put it. You're sure. not adjusting your rule sets. Yeah. This can be a problem, right? Context is important. Yeah. Um, listen, obviously he's been extremely successful, it, it, you know, and I, now I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. You know, here we are talking about Bert, like in what he no, needs no, to no, do or I not do. No, me. you're his friend. I, I, I think that I never want to come across as like, I expect people to change their behavior. But I think that the new story in life is the interesting one. And I think it's the one that resets kind of, if there is a fountain of youth, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that one thing that comes close to being a fountain of youth is this idea of building a new story, having a new goal yeah. that you're committed to, even if it's really, really hard. I think you know, and the, I'm not trying to go get David Goggins on us, right? But look, I mean, people have done harder things, but who knows? Maybe for him, alcohol is the is the holy grail. And, maybe, you know, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's worth. It. I'm, I'm glad we have the discussion. I think first of all, the only thing that he likes more than alcohol is people talking about him. So it's uh, this is very welcome in his eyes don't worry about that <laughs> bird i hope to meet you in person someday we won't have a drink <laughs> um this is an absolute uh, no a real treat that mm-hmm. you came here first of all as well. to uh sit with one of my cousins who i hadn't actually met in person that was a thrill learning i also learned during this thing um and um we even edited out a joke so it's a it's it's a full story yes you did (laughs) (laughs) well i i uh thank you it's it's been a total pleasure i'm a fan thank you i also am great admirer of your craft as you as you probably um uh, could see I, I have a lot of curiosity about comedy and what it means to us about neuroscience and, and life generally. And it's been a real pleasure to be here. I want to thank your staff because they are amazing. Uh, your team. Yes. And, um, and you, and uh, even in his absence, Bert, uh, sure. yeah, it's been a real pleasure. And yeah. I, I learned from you guys and I, I hope uh, we can do it again sometime. I'd love to do it again. And I'm going to hit you up now for like all your information. I mean, oh, I'm talking no, about I'm gonna send you, supplements. You're, you're going to be on, you're going to be on the supplement pharmacy. Okay. And we can talk about what works and doesn't work for you. And then, um, and who knows if you end up going down the other route of the, you know, the 
I mean, PEDs or something, you know, just remember, tell people the truth. <laughs> I'm on the sauce. Let's go. Bert and Tom, Tom and Bert. One goes topless while the other wears a shirt. Tom tells stories and Bert's the machine. There's not a chance in hell that they'll keep it clean. Here's what we call Two Bears, One Cave. No scripts, a bit of booze, amateur photology. Dirty jokes, raunchy humor, no apologies. Here's what we call Two Bears, One Cave.